The following program is brought to you by Podcast One Sportsnet. Don't forget to download our new Podcast One app. Quick break to tell you guys about NFL Game Pass, the only way that you can replay every game all season long. You can relive all the gutsy calls, crazy catches, wild comebacks, and breakout stars from every game every week. It's all the action, all the football you can handle, all in one place. So every game that we're talking about right now, you guys can rewatch it after the fact. I'm going to be going back, and you guys can too. Go check out Lamar Jackson in week one. Go check out Dak Prescott and what that Cowboys offense actually did. Go check out Kyler Murray in his NFL debut. That's my favorite thing about NFL Game Pass. You can go back and watch at any time. And if you haven't watched a condensed game yet, you have to try it out. It's every play from the game back to back to back so you can replay an entire NFL game in the fraction of the time it normally takes. It's how I'm able to follow all the MVP candidates, all the breakout stars, and, of course, your waiver wire pickups all season long. To see all the action this season and stay on top of all the big storylines, you need NFL Game Pass. Best of all, you can kick off the 2019 NFL season with a seven-day free trial of NFL Game Pass. Just sign up now at NFL.com slash Pro Football Focus NFL. Hey guys, have you checked out the official Lakers podcast yet? It's better than ever this season. Join host Mike Trudell and co-host Aaron Larsoul every Monday night as they discuss the Lakers news of the day, break down the games from the week, and have exclusive interviews from players, coaches, and staff. This week, the Lakers take on the Clippers in a Christmas Day showdown. Be sure to tune in to the official Lakers podcast to get all the game highlights. Welcome into the PFF NFL podcast. Steve Palazzolo, Sam Monson. Merry Christmas, Sam. Nice. Already bringing the energy, Steve. How's that? I like it. We're getting ready. I'm fired up. I'm going back to Boston you are. tonight. Going to go see the fam. It's Christmas week. Yeah, that means you're not going to be here for Thursday. We're still, Michael, we are live, man. <laughs> Have you ever worked in production before? He made it, though. He made it all the way through without going into the shot. That was Come impressive. on. I can't work like this. That was impressive. I didn't it think was. you'd he be able to do job. it. Yeah. But I had my full Chris Berman rant. I know. Where's, where's awful announcing? Pull that out. So you're not going to be here on Thursday for the pod. No. You're going to be in Boston. You have big plans for replacing I, me. I, yeah, I have some plans. Don't worry about it. You're going to be on the phone. I'll be phoning in remotely. Mm-hmm. Likely there'll be kids in the background. I mean, it's right. going to be the most have, unprofessional so, yeah. podcast we do. You're going to be phoning in. I have some plans for the visual representation of, of what you're going to do. Did you get a life-size cutout of me? There will be a, I don't will be a replacement for Steve Palazzolo beside me. That's oh, all I'm going to say. So we actually are going to record this on Thursday. There's yeah, going to yeah, be yeah. video. I'm going to be sitting in the seat as usual. You are not, but some visual representation of you will be. Fantastic. Mm-hmm. Awesome. You're going to want to, yeah, you're going to want to be a YouTube person to see that as opposed to just the, the listeners. They're, they're not going to notice the difference, except you're going to sound worse. Yeah, the audio might not be as yeah. good. But just bear with us. We'll be on location previewing week 17. But right now, mm-hmm. it's a little week 16 review. Yeah. A little pep in the step. Mm-hmm. Christmas week. You get a little excited? Scout excited? Yeah, yeah, she she's, is. She's, she's getting, ready to go. Yeah, she's getting excited. What's she getting? Any good gifts? She's getting a new bike. Took her so long to learn to ride the yeah. but the the bike we had to get her to learn on she'd like outgrown by the time she could ride it nice so literally like the second she could actually ride the thing it's like wow that that's really too small for her no old bike to hit because we're doing bikes i was gonna say maybe i could do a little hand-me-down well you if you want yeah for one of your three boys if you would like a girl's pink bike with a like a a basket on the front and a doll's Hmm. riding it by it's all yours 
Yeah, maybe. We'll talk off air. <laughs> All right, let's get into the Week 16 action. We're going to go in crazy order because it's the one that's been presented to us. It is. Do, yeah, we, did we determine if this order was locked in or can we change it up to something logical? Michael? Logical? Okay, we're gonna we're gonna change. Let's hit the good stuff right Let, off. Let's the bat. at what least do, do Saturday first. Okay, let's divide this into some kind of logical. Saturday's side. games in order. We had the Jameis Coaster. Wow, Tampa Bay Bucks against the Houston Texans. This game was insane. My favorite. My favorite thing. You know, we we probably over. I'm going to mention how you overreact to your mentions later. We probably overreact to our mentions in general on social media, right? But I wrote the whole article about Jameis Winston and how my conclusion, right, after a very Jameis-like, I mean, my mind went up and down, and it was a roller coaster of emotions writing about Jameis Winston last week, and I came to this conclusion, hey, the Bucks should give him another year. Mm-hmm. And, I, and as he was throwing 17 turnover-worthy throws in the first quarter, everybody was like, do you want to reconsider your stance? I was like, no, it's in the article. That's, that's the stance. Like, Twi- this, is, this is part of yeah, it. Yeah, Twitter exists now as... Almost the sole purpose is for people to say gotcha, gotcha after something happens in a game. Might as well just right? be gotcha.com. Right. With the entire, like, the entire premise of that fails to understand the point that almost everything in a single game is meaningless. Like, it, it, as much as we want to react to one game, I mean, this podcast exists to re- recap what just happened. Why don't we just— It doesn't mean anything. Th- it's irrelevant. Th- that would save us a lot of time if we just—everything you guys saw yesterday— Didn't mean anything. Is a small sample. Your life is a small sample size. It's all a small sample well, size. Let's, hey, let's, let's get quick to Christmas. Week 16 NFL recap. Everything you just saw is meaningless. Now on to week 17. Yeah. Look at the first 16 weeks. There you go, Michael. Carve that out for a little social clip. But anyway, so <laughs> the funny thing is, right? Do you remember your, the Stephen Ruiz, the guy who seems to have turned full heel on Twitter recently? Sure. He was tweeting about Jameis as well, right? And he was like, I don't understand why people don't think, why people think he's a bad quarterback. You're like, really? Like, you don't understand. I mean, so I get the idea that there's a nuanced conversation to be had, and you could say, all right, he does a lot of bad things, but the good he does is so good that it's worth ignoring, right? That I understand as an argument. But to say, I don't even understand why people would think he's bad. Yeah, how do you not understand the other side? What? Like, he went back-to-back pick sixes to start the game, and you don't understand why anyone would think he's a bad quarterback. One didn't count. All right, one got taken off the board. But effectively, it was back-to-back pick sixes to open the game. And you don't even understand why somebody would think he's a bad quarterback. I mean, half, if you're not one of those top quarterbacks in the league, you know, quarterbacks 8 through 28, you should be able to understand both sides. There's some people that like them. There's some people that don't. Like, that's the nature of quarterback play in the NFL right now. Aaron Rodgers has thrown, like, four picks in a couple of seasons, right? Yeah. And Jameis tried to throw back-to-back pick sixes. Yeah. And, and you He's don't got understand. more picks on opening drives. That, he has more pick sixes <laughs> this year, actually, than Rodgers has interceptions the last two years. Right. So, look, I get that the Jameis thing, there's some nuance to it, and there's, there's complications. It's not an easy answer that he sucks or he's great. The answer is obviously always somewhere in the middle. But if you, like, looking at his play, I could easily understand how someone would think, A, he's a great quarterback, B, he sucks, because the dude throws the ball to the linebackers like they don't exist. Um, but this was this game was it was peak Jameis, Jameis coaster. Added to the fact that there were like fumbles and stuff as well. Both teams seem to be insistent on giving the other the ball back. Yeah, I mean Deshaun Watson on the other side was just as bad as Jameis. We talked. In the interesting thing when we when we mentioned the Watson and Winston thing, 
Our friend Rich Eisen had a little trouble with the names. Yeah. And so I... I like went, how he acknowledged it. Though. I went back after the fact that I was, you know, watching the highlight video that NFL does just to refresh my brain as to what happened. You know, it's a 10-minute game in 10 minutes. Yeah. And there was a sequence in the middle of it where Eisen was just like, whoever the quarterback was, he was calling the other guy. You're like, yeah. oh, that that looks even worse when you put it in that in in a in a quick highlight package. I don't, I don't envy calling games. Um, so no, it's gonna be rough. We've, we've talked about the Jameis coaster, and you we know, ask, hang on, we should ask the who earns more money, like the the play by play guy or the color guy. Um, you, who are we gonna ask, Chris? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sure he'd be happy to, to no, divulge that kind of info. But you've got like because that feels like a rougher job, right? The guy that's constantly got to be talking, the play by play guy. I'm talking about. You're gonna ask. Chris, salary information between him and Al? We just we ask him, look. That sounds pretty personal. Clearly, your job is easier than Al's, right? So he's got to be earning more money. <laughs> no. What are you kidding me? Chris has to know, like, Chris has to know every single player. and He's also listening to this, by the way. So the Thursday podcast might just be you on the phone. I'll have been fired by then. Yeah. I mean, Chris definitely has the <laughs> more difficult job. The boss, I mean... You think it's easy just rolling out there as Chris Collinsworth? I don't know, but I'm saying like they they're both difficult jobs. Al just has to, first and ten. We, <laughs> we talked about Second this before with with Coward, right? Like the sheer volume of speech that he needs to throw out into the world every week. Yeah, the, the amount of like the the opportunity to spout drivel is massive. No, you know what is underrated about all this stuff is you know so George George is also listening. George and I did really? a little trial run last year. You know, if we were going to do like a stats-driven broadcast, yeah, yeah, you so did we, your own broadcast. We, we played around with it, right? So George tried to play Al, right? He tried to play play-by-play guy, and at the end of it, he's like, "Man, I talk too much," and because he realized, because then when you go back and you watch Al, how much he shuts up, yes, yeah. you just like let the action right. dictate things, which is different from like you know, like, you know, I think radio play-by-play in color is really difficult when you hear a good radio color guy. I mean, he really has to. Desc- he describes the action really because w- he has right. to describe what's happening from a football sense. The play-by-play has, the guy has to tell you twenty-yard catch and here's where it was and here you know you don't get to see it. But a, like a radio color guy has a challenging job. Yeah, I mean, just just from if it's me, it feels like the play-by-play thing is harder for me to do. If I was trying to do one from scratch, yeah, because you can't shut up. No, so I don't think that's my problem. Oh. It's like the actual needing to constantly say everything. Yeah, you have to. Yeah. Now I might not be able to shut up. That might be my failing as a You just say first and guy. ten. <laughs> Chris? First and ten. Winston. Al's really first good. Down! Al's yeah. really good at just Just letting it play out. Let, yeah. Yeah. Setting the uh the scene. Anyway, um we've talked about the Jameis coaster going up and down and up and down. It kind of lands at the same thing, game over game, but the Watson coaster mm. has really, really good games. He has MVP caliber games, and then he has like what are you doing types of games? This is the fourth what are you doing game of his season. This was uh, Carolina week four, which they won 12 to 10. Baltimore week 11. Denver week 14. You know, they lost against Baltimore. They lost against Denver. And they pulled this one off. They won against Tampa Bay. But this was a big what are you doing game. He took three sacks. He's up to 14 on the season. He's trying to catch Kyler. He won't be able to. And then there was turnover where he plays in this one for he Watson, too. This was the second highest we've ever seen, though. Yeah, he's he's catching up. So there was a point in the season, right, weeks five through nine. And this is why you like to just say we always like to draw lines in the sand, right? Things stopped and became different. Weeks five through nine, Watson was not charged with any sacks. He was getting sacked too many times early in the season. 
all of a sudden he goes on this beautiful stretch of play, getting the ball out of his hands. They upset Kansas City. He plays well for a few weeks, and it's like, all right, they figured it out. But since that point, he has three different games where we directly charged him with three sacks. And there's, you know, there's other stuff going on too, but um, Watson has just been really inconsistent over these last few weeks after getting a ton of MVP hype through about you know eight, nine, ten weeks. He reminds me a little bit of Russell Wilson in terms of they can have these incredible stretches, and then every now and again there's a clanger. Yeah. It's like, ah. And Russell Wilson so far this year has kind of avoided that. Now, yesterday was as close as he's got, but it was more, you know, finally Superman ran out of the ability to save the burning building kind of thing, as opposed to Russell Wilson, what were you doing? This is a catastrophe the way that that comes up a lot. But, like, Deshaun Watson is the same kind of thing, right? He's overall pretty phenomenal, and then every now and again you just have this ugly, horrific game where the wheels fall off, and this was kind of that. No, there's no way I could do that. Just answering a question. Yeah, you stop doing that on the podcast. Well, people made a request. I, Give I, your I'm full busy for two hours to our listeners. Yeah, well, here's, here's where attention needs to be. Houston's going to the playoffs. They have clinched a playoff spot, and... You know, they can be dangerous because of what it really does come down to what are you going to get from Deshaun Watson? But they are yeah. potentially weak in the worst potential spot. Potential. Weak in one of the worst potential spots in the secondary. Mm-hmm. So don't trust their coverage unit week in, week out. And I think they're just reliant on superhero Watson. Yeah. Now, they, they got a bad Watson game and they they pulled it off against Tampa Bay. I don't think that's happening in a, you know, if they have to play kansas city or baltimore after the wild card round i'm sorry new england they, they're going to play either new england or, if they win their first game they play either new england or baltimore most likely in round two and i think that's going to be tough to pull off unless watson's playing superhero ball like he did against new england in on sunday night football yeah i mean it's possible um this game gave Jameis an insurmountable lead in the turnover worthy play for the season category five in this game um, more than anybody else this week, uh, which puts him at 38, which is like seven clear of the pack. So he would need to have uh, a zero turnover-worthy play game in Week 17, and Kyle Allen would need to come back and throw seven of them to, to match him. Do we send trophies out for that? We don't. What would the trophy look like? It'd be, it'd be a football going to the other team somehow. Hmm. Or like just a poo emoji. Yeah, maybe that. Maybe we'll just tweet it at him. <laughs> Congrats. At Jameis. So that's that's what we should do. We should give out our awards through social media in emojis. Okay. Save the trophies. <sighs> like you just send like That a, would save a lot of money. Those you send like expensive. a goat to Aaron Donald for the Stevenson Award or something mm. like that, you know? Um, anyway, the Bucks. the defense played pretty well. Yeah. The Bucks are going to go into the offseason – and for the ninth straight year, they're going to have Next a ton of yeah, ton of optimism. They are going to they are the Ryan Tannehill of teams. They're going to bring uh, Jameis back as well. I mean, yeah, there was somebody put a montage together of the eight straight years that people predicted a breakout season for Ryan Tannehill. Yeah. Right? They could probably do the same for the Bucks. I'm going to be I'm going to be all on the bandwagon again. <laughs> Jameis leads the league in interceptions by ten. Well, now the, we're we're looking at the thirty thirty watch now, the first in history, with thirty touchdowns and thirty interceptions. Our friend Eric Edholm said nobody's thrown thirty interceptions since Vinny Testaverde 
back in like 88 or whatever it was. And I tweet, I, I sent you a text. I was like, that's the guy. Vinny Testaverde was an interception machine. But in year 11 of his career, he brought it down to seven, and the Jets went to the AFC Championship, 1998. That is Jameis. He is Vinny Testaverde. He's going he's gonna to rack up yards and stats. Year 11, though. Lamar broke a record yesterday that was Vinny Testaverde's. Was it touchdowns in a season for the for Single the season Ravens? touchdown record for Vinny the Ravens. Vinny Testaverde yeah. held the single season touchdown record for the Ravens. I had no idea that was the case. Huh. No. That might just be me being stupid, but I, I didn't 96, know. 96, I think it was. Yeah, yeah the first year. Yeah. Vinny so, Testaverde. Vinny Testaverde. Anyway, a lot of encouraging things, I think, on the defensive side for the Bucks. The two corners, Jamel Dean and Carlton Davis, the former Auburn monsters, have looked great. And, uh, oh, man, I'm going to be hyping them up all offseason. Vita Vea. It's going to be great. This is next. Bucks 2020 hype. is Jameis' year. Jameis' year. Maybe, maybe not him, but everybody and around him. not, 2021. 2022. Sean Murphy Bunting played well. All sorts of good 24, stuff. And then eventually retire. Have Texans off, off to the playoffs. All right. The second game on Saturday, the Buffalo Bills at the New England Patriots. Patriots win 24-17. to 17. Uh, A lot of interesting storylines in this one. This was like little brother trying to overtake big brother. It's the AFC East. The Bills have had uh, just a fantastic season. Could they win in New England? Could they get over the hump? I thought New England, they put together a competent offense. This was their best offensive performance as far as just pure, forget point total, but pure like down-to-down efficiency and doing it against a good Bills defense, I think, since week three. Although I know what your point was on the Bills. Uh, They couldn't tackle, right? Right. For the second straight week, they missed 16 tackles on defense. So this is a game that was interesting. I Like Buffalo could easily have won this game, and then late in the game in particular— the Patriots were just able to grind them down and kept getting these big plays because Buffalo were either missing tackles or getting run over um, after contact. Like the Patriots just extended these drives and ultimately broke their back because the Bills kept missing tackles. And it's insane. Like, I think we highlighted this going into the game. It's 16, yeah, last week. That's bad. They're like, they're top six in terms of yards before contact per carry as a defense right on the ground so they get to the running back quickly better than most teams but they're now 30th in yards after contact per carry because they get there and then fall off the tackle which is what was happening here so 16 missed tackles on defense is huge um and the the other thing that struck me about the that side of the ball is how hard the patriots have to work right now to get people open like, they were breaking was, out every possible trick in the book to scheme yeah. these guys open. That was part of what I thought really stood out to me. They were, they put a lot on, I mean, look, it's Brady and it's year like 50 for him. But it felt like they put a lot on his plate where they're saying, okay, you could tell they had multiple checks uh, in the huddle and all that stuff, right? There was that one time Brady yelled out, I'm in the shotgun. And, you know, whoever was the announcer was like, oh, some, uh, Kurt Warner was like, oh, sometimes you have to remind him. It's because previously they had the same look and it was like if you see this look get under center run this and run duo now you get the we're going to call the same thing you get a different look go and go out of the gun they were they were very methodical before the snap like we're going to use motion pre-snap we're going to get a read we're going to outnumber the defense and we're going to use jet jet motion and all these other things to kind of keep them off balance they you're right i think you they just did everything that they could to just get that one-man advantage in the run game 
and to just create some play action passing opportunities and they schemed it up extremely well yeah. it did feel like it's a lot of hard work because there's not because right. they can't just line up and, and you know win one on one on the outside you can look at it two ways right you can say what a great job they're doing schematically busting these guys wide open adding value that isn't there because of the talent they have or you can say that's a lot of hard, hard work to just be functional it is so you know depending on how you want to what kind of optimis- optimism or pessimism you want to have regarding that particular dynamic, it's either a good thing or a bad thing. To me, not shockingly, I'm going to look on the pessimistic side of it and say, <laughs> if you have to do that much work just to be a functional offense, it's probably going to be an issue. Yeah, I mean, it's tough to sustain probably because, you know, Julian Edelman's still the only guy that can go out there and, and win one-on-ones that right. you trust. And then, again, there was a point in the game where they started to take Edelman away. Nobody else is getting open. You know, they're still doing a good job of, you know, scheming it up for Nikhil Harry and putting him in space and letting him create after the catch or um, in the running game. So it's really similar to what they did last year, though. They, you know, they put Cordero Patterson in position to succeed. They used multiple running backs. Uh, Rex Burkhead was the one who had the, the big game after his fumble early on. So New England's offense, I think, made some really nice strides. Buffalo's offense... I mean, early on, I think uh, our guy Kev Cole said, you know, described what his timeline was. And it was a whole bunch of, well, Josh Allen's terrible. Josh Allen's terrible. Josh Allen can hit a throw. And then he hits, he had like four, three or four like legit throws. And everybody's like, Josh Allen can do no wrong. This Mm -hmm. is why they got him. And there was a lot of truth to that, man. If you can deal with him missing throws and being inefficient, if he's going to drop those dimes in. And in some incredible throws, under pressure, drops a dime on John Brown, who whooped. Stephon Gilmore and Devin McCourty on a deep ball. There were certain people out there on Twitter who thought that that was simply Gilmore playing his coverage. No, no fault whatsoever. Gilmore himself came out and said, that's not true. I got owned. Yeah, I mean, it was... It was so if you were one of those people, you, it was clearly you were cover- wrong and silly. I mean, it was pretty clearly cover one. Does McCourty need to be there to help? Yeah, but... Oh, McCourty got beat as well. But, yeah. Like, there were people that legitimately wanted to basically absolve Gilmore. But you could see the double move. John Brown, when he sticks his foot faking, essentially, the out cut, and yeah. Gilmore's eyes are just on the out, and then, you know, well, Brown crosses like, his face, yeah. and Gilmore's just like, uh-oh. Well, he 100% played the out because he turned all the way back. Like, the only thing... When you turn your back on the receiver and the quarterback, the only thing you can defend at that point is the thing you're playing. Right. So um, he even if you were trying to keep outside leverage, like you're still supposed to run with the post. Right. Um, and he didn't. So anyway, John Brown was fantastic on that particular play. That was his only well, catch. The key is, so he's been doing that a lot this season in terms of getting wide the hell open deep. Right. And Allen has not been able to put the ball within the same zip code. So in the, But in this one, it was Dawson Knox. Dawson Knox got behind the defense three times. Yeah. He missed him twice. And he hit him on the 33-yard touchdown, which was another spectacular throw. Yeah. So this was like... Josh Allen this year has been extremely efficient up to 20 yards and all that stuff. We've been saying that this was the game where this was what we thought Josh Allen was coming out, which was he's going to miss a bunch of throws, which he did. He's going to hit a bunch of the more difficult throws, which he did. And then, you know, again, he picked up a bunch with his legs. He he did a lot of nice stuff with his legs as far as uh, continuing to move the chains. But ultimately, you know, they scored 17 points. They had a chance to win at the end. And uh, New England keeps going zero blitz and puts the pressure on those quarterbacks, and, and Allen didn't have an answer for it. And the thing is, this kind of so the kind of deep efficiency he had in this game, I would say, is fine, right? Oh yeah, he missed some throws, but by definition, these are lower percentage throws. They're deep down the field; they're not easy to make, right? You're going to miss some of them. So this, if he was like this all the way all season long, 
you'd be okay. In fact, you'd be in pretty good shape because he's actually been pretty efficient on the underneath stuff. The problem is he's been nowhere near this efficient most of the time. Yeah, so so they only scored 17 points, but if you look at it, like, I forget what the exact number was, but on, on drives where there's a big-time throw, the team scores like 80 85% of right. the time. Josh Allen had three big-time throws. Two of them directly led to touchdowns, obviously. So if you have this type of game with a guy with a big arm that can drive the ball down the field and make that throw under pressure and all that stuff, if he's going to hit two or three of those per game, you're immediately flipping the field. Like you should, Your starting point is almost 14 or 17 points, right? right? Just I mean, by doing that. And then the goal was to increase the efficiency elsewhere and in the short game, and that's where he kind of wasn't good in this game. Yeah, on 20-plus targets in this game, he was four for seven. Like, that is fine. Yeah. If you had that all the way through the season, you would be perfect. Oh, that's fantastic. I mean, perfect. You'd be yeah. excellent. But he hasn't been anything like that. Normally, he's been, like, way at the other end of the, of the spectrum. So for the season, he is 18 of 67 on 20-plus yard yeah. throws. So as far as the playoff picture goes, New England, they have the inside track to the to the bye, number two seed. They just have to beat Miami. Buffalo's locked into the number five spot. I believe they're playing. They're playing for nothing next week. And you know, look, Buffalo's going to be another. They're going to be a tough out. The defense, you know, it maybe hasn't been as great in recent weeks, but um, you know, they're they're certainly more than capable. But they would need yeah. some of the. They need some of those big plays from Josh Allen and a little bit more efficiency in the short game, and they could be dangerous. And to stop missing tackles. Yes, they must improve their tackling heading into the playoffs. The third game on Saturday. Yes. Oh, you're excited about this one. This was a great game. Who was it? The Rams and the 49ers. I almost said Seattle. I was like, wait a second. Yeah, no. I almost said Seattle and the 49ers. I'm I, looking ahead to week 17. Rams and 49ers. So I thought this game had the biggest potential to be a complete blowout in terms of the 49ers just stomping them unless the Rams got their act together. And they did. This looked like last year's Rams. This looked like a team that... They were doing all the things that you expect a Sean McVay scheme to do in terms of rollouts, motion, I thought it was a action. little too protective of Jared. I see. I think that's what was working. They got very protective of him, and somehow, or not somehow, because of all that protection, now you've got golf looking a bit comfortable, and he's starting to deliver some of these dimes that we saw last year. When this offense functions at its best— you have a scheme that's uh, creating more offense than most schemes in the NFL this just is. by the scheme, right? Then you have Jared Goff adding those value-add plays on top of it where it's like, all right, the scheme may have got some guys open, but look at this. This is a beautiful pass that you don't expect from most quarterbacks. He started hitting a few of those. Now, the problem in this game is that he also had a couple of horrendous passes, which kind of eroded a lot of that good work, but... This, for a large portion of the game, looked like the old Rams team. This, this was insane. I had to look up the numbers here. <coughs> it felt, I kept tweeting out, this was screen boot, screen boot, screen boot. That mm. was it. They, they went play action, boot, right. to put them on the edge, or they ran a million screens. This was the game. Uh, 23 dropbacks that ended up outside the pocket for Jared Goff. That is the highest in the NFL this season. Mm -hmm. uh, second most was Deshaun Watson with 18. So five more than any other quarterback in the league this year as far as being outside the pocket. He was 12 for 19 for 151 and a touchdown. Had four scrambles in there all outside the pocket. Yeah. It just felt a little too protective when they needed some plays. I know it works. They scored a ton of points. Right. It was working. I know. They did a lot, but it was just like. I don't it understand was a, what your complaint is. 
Uh, I don't know. Yeah, they did a nice job skiing. Their it offense out. has been getting its ass kicked all season long. Because there were some drives where it felt like it was too predictable. Uh, it, you know, it's not, like by the end, it was like, all right, we got, you know, the Niners are playing the boot. Like, so eh, I don't know if that was happening, though. If you took away, so one, the first, the, one of his interceptions was terrible, right? It was late into the flat, which is one of those cardinal sins as a quarterback you just don't do. You know, that was horrendous. Right. And it, it, it you need to understand where that linebacker is because it was one of those it was one of those where you go through your progression at some point the alarm the timer in your head goes off speaking of timers we never even started ours again All right. timer in your head goes that? off and uh, you just turn and hit your outlet right you see Peyton Manning do this all the time it's like you know bouncing in the pocket read one read two read three not there just turn and fire it to the guy running uh, running in the flat right you know who does it well yeah. Lamar okay sure but in order to – that wasn't meant to sound dismissive, by the way. Uh, well, no, it was. It was meant to sound dismissive to you, as in shut up, I'm still making a point, not dismissive of Lamar having that particular skill set. Sorry, go ahead. Just want to clarify yeah. that, lest I get in trouble with the Lamar people. Um, the Lamar people? Yeah, like, you know, the people that love Lamar. He's got some fans out there. He does. So anyway, uh, this, this was that, except at some point you need to check that the, that the outlet into the flat isn't blanketed by a linebacker who followed him out there. Which is what happened here. Would you stop messing with that? I think it's a bark. The the guy, the linebacker, was it Fred Warner? Fred Warner. Fred Warner had tracked the running back into the flat and was basically waiting for the throw and just stepped in front of it and, you know, picked off, ran back the other way. So that was a terrible, terrible decision. But my point is that that kind of undoes a lot of good that was happening. Um, And this was the first time, maybe all season long, where... Goff was making some of those throws that we saw last year in terms of he isn't just a product of this system. He actually adds value on top of what the system's already bringing. So for a large part portion of this game, I was very impressed with what he was doing. Yeah. Just two really bad throws in this. Some, yeah, some bad ones in there. Um, the Niners, I mean, it was, it's a Spider-Man emoji. I mean, uh, you know what I mean? Meme, Spider-Man meme, yeah. these guys. Um, not as many boot plays and, and screen passes from the Niners, but uh, they ran efficiently on offense. And then um, a couple bombs, third and 16, the bomb to Emmanuel Sanders to get the ball into field goal range. That was another one where people were like, what's Jalen Ramsey doing? And it wasn't good, man. Taylor Rapp, so they were playing two-man. It looked like they were playing trail, two-man. meaning, But they looked like they were playing an adjustment. And then Ramsey confirmed it later in his interview it's third and 16. So the adjustment is kind of like, all right, I'm going to usually play inside leverage on the receiver. He looked like he was trying to like give him, let him gain ground just a little bit and then try to rob. Cause that's when you try to get that 16 yard or 20 yard dig route. You're trying to get the ball just beyond the sticks. So curl routes, dig routes, plays at the sticks. Ramsey was playing the sticks, taking the underneath underneath stuff. What Taylor Rapp was doing, he's supposed to drop back into cover two split field type of deep half. And he went, way too far mm. that looked like a like the controller got stuck on madden and you got the speed burst stuck and he just kept going he went all the way to deep half from deep half to deep third and he couldn't recover in time yeah. ramsey pretty much buried taylor rap yeah, in his I think, comments i think ramsey felt just, a little bit harsh ramsey described what happened <laughs> right it was the truth it feels like you might need to moderate that a little bit oh yeah your absolutely. teammate is the guy that you're throwing under the bus here ramsey did have a nice pick earlier in the game little underneath man I, I i loved him as his own corner coming out you kind of see those skills there too i don't know if 
Like Ramsey might be better just being an underneath zone defender, as much as valuable as a press man corner is and what he's able to do. But In this world of small sample sizes are meaningless, have you seen the grades of Darius Williams over the past couple of weeks? Remember who he is? Like yeah. Tiny corner from UAB. UAB always graded well for us. Right. Back he had to a back. nice interception the other day as well. Yeah, back-to-back impressive grades. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of those guys through the years because we only like to talk about our hits. There's a lot of guys like that through the years that graded really well in college, and they um, even in just small sample sizes, they look pretty good. Sometimes they don't always sustain it, but they graded well in college. We look at them, and there's always like, hey, he's too short, or he's too slow, he's too this, he's mm. too that, but a lot of times they end up and honestly, being productive. Darius Williams of, is one of those. Some of the some of the sort of conventional criticism, the reason those guys fall, is probably fair. I think what what those guys are starting to prove is that there might actually be a sort of ceiling to how good they can be given the physical limitations. So Troy Hill, I think, is a good example, right? Troy Hill, obviously. Broken thumb, couldn't play. Yeah, but a sort of PFF favorite in terms of college grading, graded really well, looked good, has skills. Um, Troy Hill, asked to be like a number one corner, is now going up against Julio Jones, Michael Thomas, DeAndre Hopkins. It's just not going to go well, right? Those guys are bigger, stronger, by and large faster, He's just physically overmatched with those guys. But you bring in a Jalen Ramsey, who now draws those guys, Troy Hill against a number two receiver in the NFL. Now he's not physically overwhelmed. He's actually in really good shape because he's a good player. So this year, if you look at the grading, like you could make the case that Troy Hill belongs in the Pro Bowl based on grading. Now you have to understand that he's now put in a position to succeed because Jalen Ramsey is the guy drawing the number right. one receiver. But I, I think what we're starting to discover from the grading is that those guys they grade extremely well cornerback at the college level but have some kind of physical limitation with their tight size strength whatever that the the rest of the nfl draft world goes that guy's got no shot in the nfl i think they do it's just as a very specific you know sort of ceiling capped position right yeah think about how much those guys essentially you need to think of as number two slash three cornerbacks well, think about how much depth needs to be tapped into in the secondary and all that stuff. I mean, look, just the Ram, what the Rams had to trot out there defensively. Um, they have Troy Reader playing middle linebacker over the last couple of weeks. He's He really struggled. I mean, undrafted free agent out of Delaware. Had to see some time. You mentioned Darius Williams had to see some time. I mean, you have to tap into some depth. And I think the draft debate always centers around if you have a sixth-round pick, do you get that high upside quote-unquote high upside athlete or do you get a guy that was extremely productive i mean i i like the idea of diversifying the funds so to speak but having a bunch of guys like a darius williams give me the undersized slow really productive guy and just get him into camp and see if he can play football yeah and if you get a bunch of those football players you might steal a good game out of darius williams late in the season or or two two, like they did um anyway the rams um, they're going to be a fascinating discussion this offseason they've traded their you know they've they're without first-round picks for the next 17 years, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Um, they need to be really good from a personnel standpoint uh, to get back. The NFC West is Well, they just... also probably need to find a couple of those Darius Williams-type players. Oh, yeah. If you're not going to have first-round picks, if you can hit on a nobody somewhere, yes. that's huge. There is more and more pressure on the Rams and Les Snead and, all, you know, those in, in their scouting department just to continue to keep that roster competitive, especially now the NFC West. Look at how good it is. We didn't know that the Niners were going to be this good coming into the year. Arizona looks like they're going to be dangerous with Kyler and Cliff over the next few years. And, of course, Seattle still has Russell Wilson. So the NFC West, 
I think it's going to be a great division for years to come, or it could be terrible like the NFC East um, because we thought they'd be good at the top two. Um, But the NFC West looks like it's going to be really, really competitive. The Niners now, they control their own destiny for the number one seed. If they can beat Seattle on the road next week, they'll have the number one seed. Yeah, the NFC, I I think, again, we said this in the preview podcast, the NFC seeding is so critical and they brought this up on the broadcast last night sunday night football look at the venues we're talking about in terms of potential home field advantages yeah. you know the superdome the saints are a completely different team at home uh old candlestick uh not really but you know 49ers if it was candlestick uh, that'd right. be a real advantage lambo you know green bay the vikings at home are completely you know, every one of these home field advantages seattle is is huge um, and obviously most of the teams aren't going to get it. They're going to be stuck going through whichever one of these teams actually ends up securing home field. Yeah, a lot to play for next week. Good win by the 49ers. So now we have problems, right? Because we changed the order and we did Saturday. Now you have to remember what's left. Well, look, spoiler alert. We're not going to spend much time on Jaguars-Falcons. I would suggest we go in the order that's there minus the ones we've done. So even though it's a 4 o'clock game first? Yes. Okay, Detroit Lions at the Denver Broncos. We're probably also not going to spend a whole lot of time on Lions-Broncos. Hmm. I'm just saying, if you're a Lions or a Broncos fan, or, you know, front office member or whatever, you that's week 16, you know, just... Skip ahead. Skip Two for skip one drafts. Two for one drafts. Um, sorry, how many wins do the Broncos have now? <laughs> Did I lose my... Uh, probably oh, they got know. five. I've been calling them a six-win team. So if they win next week, you're, you're in good no, shape? No, no, six wins. They got six. They got to lose next week. Oh, we got to lose. Yeah. Who are they playing, the Raiders? No, they, yeah, yeah, Raiders, right? Yeah, they need to lose. The Raiders can still make the playoffs. Have you seen the scenario that needs to unfold? Yeah, it's not crazy. Right. It's not crazy. Now, they may Texans get screwed the by Titans. the fact that oh, at least one of those teams, I think, the is Ravens, rest everybody. Ravens have to beat the Steelers. But the Ravens have nothing to play for, right? Correct. Except the they, fact that it's the Steelers. We'll see an RG3. Right. And I don't think the Texans really have anything to play for, right? No, the Texans, I think I think technically could be the number three seed. They could flip from three to four. Okay. I was talking was I I wasn't talking to you, I was talking to Neil about it, I think. So the Texans, if they if they knew that they could get they would need Kansas City to lose, right? In that week. So yeah, so they need to win and Kansas City loses, and then the Texans could be the number three, and all that would do is earn the right to go to New England mm. in the divisional round rather than going to Baltimore. Which I would, I would probably choose New England over Baltimore at this point. Well, particularly given what they did to them. Yeah. I already. Mean, you, you, in what Baltimore did to them. Not right. that it always matters in game two, but, you know, I'd feel better about going to New England. I mean, if you want to rematch one of those games, it's got to be the one that you, you won oh, yeah. rather than got obliterated in. Right. Um, anyway, Drew Locke. It was a little uh, Purdue versus Missouri. Drew Locke versus David Blau. Drew Locke looked good again. Bounced back. So in non-snow games. Yeah. Drew Locke is, is pretty efficient and looking good. I think that's, it's encouraging for your uh, Broncos fans. Can we be encouraged? Sure. Uh, that's probably not ideal, though. And, you know, if, you're, if your weakness is snow games and you went to Denver. Yeah, I don't, that's only one game a year, two games a year. Small sample size. David Blythe <laughs> oh, does not look good. Yeah, he had those really good throws to start his career. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like On Thanksgiving. Like throw one. Yeah. After one throw, David Blau looked like he might be an NFL player. He did. Uh, every throw after that, less so. Yeah. So, anyway, the, look, the Lions have uh, we got a lot of rebuilding to do on both sides of the ball. We do. I think, at the very least, Denver has started to get 
you know, they've got Locke who could push the ball down the field a little bit, and they got some guys that can make plays down the field. I love Tim Patrick. Yeah? I loved him coming out of Utah. Okay. Big 6-5 receiver. He had five catches for 48 yards. I mean, he's not tearing it up or anything, but I would. I just want him on my team. He's a wide receiver, four or five. You know the uh, the jersey exchange that players are taking to doing these days? Yeah. So uh, Mike Williams and Trayvon Mullen did one because they're both former Clemson players, right? Of course. And I know that Mike Williams is like a monster, right? 6'5", whatever he is, 230. And a one, so, you know, they're both holding up the jerseys. And I'm like, wow, Mike Williams is huge. How freaking big is Trayvon Mullen to be taller than Mike Williams? And then it occurred to me that they already swapped the jersey. So he was holding up, you know, the other jersey. Yeah. Yeah. It took me a while to work out what the hell was going on there. I thought Trayvon Mullen must be like a six seven corner. You just good story. Well sometimes I'm not, you know, smart. That's all I'm saying. Do you have anything else on Lions Broncos? Uh I don't think we're skimping. I, I don't think we're our listeners are uh I don't think we're losing anybody if we move along. <laughs> I'm encouraged from the Broncos. Lions focus on the pass game this offseason. That's where I am. Yeah, guys. a lot. Focus on it heavily. I mean, I loved what Stafford did early in the year, attacking down the field. Pass, pass defense, though, instead of run defense. That's what we want, Detroit. Yes. That's what we want. Don't care what happened in the run game yesterday or not. 109 for Philip Lindsay. Don't care. Stop the pass. One of the first things they could probably do is to put um, Owarari back in the lineup instead of uh, Rashawn Melvin. They get three point. snaps, Owarari. Well, Melvin came back, right? So he's gone back to the bench. He was only in there because Melvin was injured. I mean, part of I, I wanted he to play pretty well while he was in there. Yeah. Maybe that's a change you could make. Yeah, that's a guy I would want to see more of. Anyway, you're probably wondering where these shirts are coming from. These awesome looking shirts. They're from Proper Cloth, and you can get one too. It's propercloth.com slash PFF. We're going to give you $20 off your first shirt using the promo code PFF20. Why should they get Proper Cloth, Sam? Uh, because A, they're excellent shirts. B, this is my favorite one. You can fully customize them. Um, you're a great example of this, right? Because you can't just buy a regular shirt off the peg. No. It would look ridiculous. It's really, so it's freaky dimension. It's really stressful when I pack, like I'm going home, you know, back to Boston tonight. It's mm-hmm. really stressful to pack because if I forget something, they can't just like go to the store and, yeah. oh, I forgot a shirt. Let me go buy it. It right. needs to be custom made and all that stuff. And that's why proper cloth is. Exactly. Now, nice. obviously, you're an extreme example. But I think a lot of people are not, you know, off the peg shapes, right? You need, you got some long arms. You got some, you know, things are different. Maybe you. You've got to tweak maybe some measurements. Can't do the sl- maybe the slim fit's not working for you anymore. Right. You get, whatever it is, whatever your particular quirk is, you've got some unusual you dimensions. Get room. <laughs> All of that stuff's available at Proper Cloth. It's great. It really is. Is the timer going now? Oh, it is going. You've got some... I, th- I don't know what it's counting in, though. It um, says 13. You've got some unusual dimensions. Oh, this mic. You can go to Proper Cloth, get it actually tailored so that it fits you. Um, regardless of what your weird dimension is. Yeah, so cool. that's huge. The fact that you can then design the thing, whether it's buttoned down, whether it's like whatever that is, the English spread that you're rocking. I go moment. English spread. Yeah. Did you know that? No. You just remember that's from. I just remember that was one of the more ridiculous sounding ones and assume that's what you'd be rocking. It's, it's saved as Steve business shirt too, which is great. So you yeah. just save your, you know, settings, so right. to speak. You save your size, you save your design. You can just yeah. go in there and choose the material, and you're, you're done. It's really easy, and I think that's, um, that's how guys like to shop is really easy. So Proper Cloth makes it easy for you. It's the best fabric producers from around the world. Each one of their shirts goes through extensive quality control testing, so you're getting the absolute best quality and craftsmanship. Proper Cloth shirts are completely custom-made for you. They start at only $80. 
So you're guaranteed to find a style you love with quality that doesn't break the bank. The other thing I like is that there's there are different sort of weights of fabric. Like there's stuff there that's really light, super summer weight, even including yeah. short sleeve. Um, or you got stuff like this, which is like this big, that's heavy, too, yeah. that's know, what I have. Winter, right there, yeah. winter deal. That's why I'm feeling really good in this shirt right now. This might be my go-to. Hmm. If I wear it every week. You'll know why. Don't make fun of me. Okay. All right. It's propercloth.com slash PFF. Promo code is PFF20. Get $20 off your first shirt today. And they move pretty quickly. They, uh, they get it to you very quickly. Yeah, their shipping and stuff is rapid. More 4 o'clock games here. Raiders 24. Los Angeles Chargers 17. I put up the uh, Jameis Winston versus Derek Carr poll. Oh, God. This is just my favorite comparison. Because you have two guys who have had, they've had some peaks in their career. Have they? Derek Carr's had a peak. Yeah. In his career. And so has Jameis. They've just been in games. Yeah. I mean, Jameis is high end. Like what Chris did last night with the Trubisky highlights versus the Mahomes highlights. Right. Just put the highlights out there. Um, Derek Carr is on the conservative side, but he can have games like he did yesterday. 26 for 30 for 291. Just, you know, moving the chains. Just throwing the short stuff, letting guys create after the catch. Four for four. He only had four four targets beyond 10 yards, but he hit all four of them for 96 yards. He can have these crazy efficient games. Generally takes care of the ball. And then Jameis, you know, we've talked about left and right. Um, you've got the crazy value add guy versus the Alex Smithy type of game manager. I think it was George that tweeted this, that it's nice to see the Raiders uh, going out in the high after in their final home game. Oh. This genuinely, so whatever, like Los Angeles, the Chargers are normally screwed on the basis that there's zero Chargers fans there. Yeah. Like apparently they had to go to a um, a silent count against the Vikings at home. That's yeah, insane. That's... It's not like, you know, the Vikings. Uh, but the Raiders, I mean, they were legitimately the L.A. Raiders for a decent period of time not that long ago, right? So yeah. there, were, there were quite legitimately a lot more Raiders fans in the vicinity than there are Chargers fans. So this was... Like this was an absolute home game for the Raiders. This was as as close as you're ever going to get to a home game on the road, um, and it kind of felt like it. Like the Chargers, not good. Raiders, better. Yeah, you know, the end. Man, you know, Raiders played a pretty clean game. This could have been the last game as a Charger for Philip Rivers as he hits free agency. They've got some decisions to make. You know, the Chargers still. I mean, they're going to go the Chargers and Falcons are going to go into this offseason, right, as the two teams that had five win seasons, six wins, and just very disappointing. But is it, you know, do you bring back Phillip Rivers? Do you try to bring him back for a little bit? Like, there's no, well, there's no secession. Before plan. you bring in, so, yes, you're going to have a discussion about whether you bring back Phillip Rivers or not. Before the, you decide the answer to that, I want to know, are you going to do anything to fix the offensive line? Because if the answer to that is no... There is zero point in bringing Phillip Rivers back. But they've tried over the last couple of years. Just the fact that, I mean, Sam Tevy, you know, they're still, they're still trotting him out there. But they tried to bring in Dan Feeney, who was a good pass blocker in college, and he hasn't really worked out. Forrest Lamp hasn't. They put draft capital into this whole thing. Sort of. They did. Yeah. Now, I, would, I really like the idea of piecing it together with some with some retread vet veterans, like give me all the injured vet vets that have had peak seasons and, you know, piece it all together. But it has to get better. What about a first-rounder on an offensive lineman? Ooh. Because you can do that. It's not illegal. You can take those guys in the first. You can. It's possible. You might even get a better player if you do that. You need, well, 
there's definitely some work to do there. So there'll be a there'll be a big discussion point this offseason. Good win for the Raiders in their final home game in Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. Wow. Poor San Diego fans. Before they head off to Vegas. That's going to be insane, by the way, the Raiders in Vegas. Yeah. Have you seen where that stadium is? No. It's literally like right across the street from Mandalay Bay. Oh, is it? Yeah. <laughs> it's like it's a stone's throw from the strip. Played AAA in Las Vegas. Yeah? Yeah. How'd that go? It's not a good place to pitch. Why not? Thin air. Okay. And then it's dry in the desert. So the infield. What does the dryness do? So the ball, so the, first off, the ball flies when it's in the air. And then because it's so dry, the infield was like a rock. So if you hit the ball on the ground, it flies. It was like playing on artificial turf. Huh. So there would be balls that you'd hit it. It would hit right in front of the plate and like bounce over the infielder's heads. Have you thought about negating those by just throwing strikes? Well, if I throw strikes, they could hit it. Yeah, so if I strike guys out, yes. Yeah. That would be the... Maybe you should do that more. That's good advice. Thanks. That's uh, scoreboard points. That is actually a really good yeah. way to pitch. Look, you could, you could solve all your problems if you just started throwing more strikes. There's no, there's no batting average on balls in play on a strikeout. That's what I'm saying. Right? Advanced analytics. Right. You seem to have a lot of problems when you let them hit the ball, so just stop them hitting it. Yeah, strikeouts, they reach first like one every 500 times. Mm. That's because of a wild pitch. Right. I don't throw those. That's what I'm saying. See, if I had you coaching me up, I could, I could, maybe I wouldn't have had a 490 ERA in the... Maybe they got drafted. PCL. They actually let me start a game in Vegas. Yeah? Yeah. I was a reliever. Started a game. Mm. Mm. Didn't go well? No. Gave up some bombs. <laughs> I gave up a grand slam. Vegas was terrible, all right? It was not good. It was a terrible place to pitch, and I should have called in sick. (laughs) Speaking of calling in sick, the Atlanta Falcons this season called in sick. Called in sick. 24-12 over the Jacksonville Jaguars. The only thing I have to say about this game is Julio Jones didn't even make the watch list of the NFL 100 wide receivers, and he's awesome. He is. They screwed up. Okay. That's it. Yeah, I mean, I'm all for the idea that he should have been on the watch list. Um, and probably maybe the final 100 as well. I mean, maybe. So it's an interesting discussion, right? Because we seem to, we've all accepted that passing is way more easy now, right? Than it yes. ever has been before. So we expect receivers now to have career setting, record setting numbers, right? So all this like Julio, the fastest ever to 12,000 yards. Yeah, Michael sure. Thomas breaking the single-season catch record. All, all this sort of stuff is expected, right? This is why there's like a backlog of these guys trying to get into the Hall of Fame because there's a pretty significant acceptance that, look, it's easier now. They're going to put up better numbers. If you're just looking at what his numbers look like compared to the guy, you know, 20 years ago, it's going to favor him, right? Yeah, of course. So if we're going to start talking about Julio for the Hall of Fame, the, the conversation can't be surrounding what do his numbers look like? Do you think all of the recent players, they, they lose out because... So Larry Fitzgerald made it. Right. But if you look at, you know, since 2004, and you're like, or when, when, when Fitzgerald entered the league, who are the most dominant receivers of that era? And Fitz is awesome. I mean, he is fantastic, and his longevity is incredible. But I don't think he's more dominant than Julio Jones, Calvin Johnson, um, Antonio Brown, and maybe not even Nuke. Andre? I mean, he's probably like... And Andre Johnson. Yes. I mean, Fitz is barely a top... Fitz is awesome. Mm-hmm. Barely a top five receiver of his era, if we just say his era. Go back to 2000. So he's an interesting case because, you know, we've railed before about the Curtis Martins of the world, 
yeah. in terms of just long-term longevity. The Frank Gore, Curtis Martin Hall of Fame case. Fitzgerald is probably like the most extreme case of that, where he was probably the very, very top end of very good for basically his entire career and maybe was never truly, truly elite the way some of these other guys were. On the other hand, he does have sort of a calling card that some of these other players didn't have where he, he probably has the best hands of his generation and some of the best hands ever. Um, almost never dropped the ball. Also had that absurd playoff run that dragged them to a Super Bowl where he was just mossing everybody. Was awesome. Um, so, yeah, I, I kind of have some sympathy for the Larry Fitzgerald case in a way I don't for some of these other high-end compilers. Uh, but I also don't have an argument against... You're saying him versus the Curtis Martins of the world. Yeah. Um, but I also don't really have a strong disagreement with anyone that would say Julio's better. Yeah, I just think when you look at the peak years, uh, you know, since 2000, there's four, five, six guys probably better than Fitz. But Fitz is, mm. Fitz is Curtis Martining and Frank Goring it around here. Yeah, but a higher level on those guys, I think. Man, Fitz's hands are incredible, though. Yeah. Absolutely incredible. He even got jobbed out of a catch yesterday, I think, should probably Yeah, that it. probably should have been a touchdown. 24-12, the Falcons win. We'll, we'll, again, we'll be talking all, about all these teams in great detail this offseason. Mm. But um, talking about top 10 draft picks there for these two teams. Let's move on. Baltimore Ravens 31, wow. Cleveland Jeez. Browns 50. Do you have anything, do you have anything you to add on this the game? Jags in that game? The Jaguars lost. Gardner Minshew has been pretty wow. bad for the fifth straight week. Yeah. So... Just another uh, mark in the Fourth straight sample week. size thing. You know, these things fluctuate. Okay. Let's professional tease here. Yeah. Gardner Minshew, who we sat here seven or eight weeks ago and we said the Jacks have a decision. They've stumbled into this sixth round gold and all this stuff. Some really nice stuff from Gardner Minshew. But mm. it was a small sample size. Yes. Dun, dun, dun. It was. What does that have to do with the Giants quarterback? Tune in later mm. as we get there. Nice. Yeah, that's the Jags covered. Next. The Jags still have massive decision. Tom Coughlin out this week. Was that? When did that happen? It was last week, right? It's still relevant. Sure. Well, yeah, it was last week because we talked about you wouldn't set the clocks differently if you were the Jags GM. It's all blending together. Yeah. Merry Christmas, though. Still wouldn't set the clocks differently. Let me tell you about our friends over at Western and Southern. It doesn't matter if it's football or financial wellness. The right questions will always give you the best chance for a win. Western and Southern has partnered with us here at PFF to give you a chance for an up-close and personal look at the X's and O's that will lead to both financial and football success, Sam. All you need to do is go to westernsouthern.com slash Chris. So if you're looking for insight on your financial future or need an inside-the-huddle tip, that's right. It's westernsouthern.com slash ask-chris to ask Western, Southern, and PFF your most pressing questions. C-R-I-S. C-R-I-S is Chris's name. Mm-hmm. Ask-chris. You can even win tickets to the big game. You can. Let's go check it out. Westernsouthern.com slash ask-chris. Can we draw on this thing yet? No. no. What is with that? What happened? Somebody broke this. We lost our drawing privileges here somehow. That's what is going on? We're going to need that next week. Yeah, we need. We have a lot of drawing to do. Hmm. Oh, wait. What do you mean? Hmm? You're going to draw me on there? What? If you, if you make my hair look bad. Make it look bad? You heard what I said. I heard what you said. I reject the premise of, of your, your point. head of hair. It, you do. You have an incredible head of hair. 
Baltimore 31, Cleveland 15. The Browns kept it close. This was like, you know, like you were watching New England through all those years. And even when teams kind of like played them well and they're doing some good things, before you know it, they just like rattle off a couple touchdowns. Yeah. That was Baltimore. And that's like the Browns were close. They're keeping it close. And before you know it, Lamar just goes like seam route, seam route, touchdown, seam route, touchdown. I mean, they're just really good. Tony Tony Romo was highlighting Lamar's ability to throw the ball away from coverage. And I think he did a good job of highlighting it. Lamar's uh, second touchdown right before right before the um, right before halftime. He breaks free from a sack has Mark Andrews not open at all and just throws it up and away from the leverage of the defender. And it was fantastic. Yeah, he was spectacular. I, honestly, as impressive as this was for Baltimore, this felt a lot more like the Browns just being the Browns. So where, where I thought you were going to go with that New England point is, you know, you watch this game and you just get the feeling that New England was going to make it, you know, and eventually win. With the Browns, you watch, you know, like even when it's going well, you just get this feeling that at some point they're going to, you know, try and tie their shoes and break their hip. Yeah, it goes both ways. Right, and that's basically what happens every single week. Like, they were in really good position and then made an absolute balls of the final, like, 90 seconds of the first half. Uh, Baltimore takes the lead and never looks back. Like, even when things are going well in Cleveland, it's just an absolute disaster waiting to happen, and you know it's coming. Um, You then get, like, video of Beckham going to the sideline, launching his helmet at the table or launching his helmet at the bench screaming at freddie kitchens seemed to be screaming it's because of him hmm. now there's only that many hymns out on the field that would have potentially impact odell Beckham's on, performance I, I i got i gotta say something about all that mm-hmm. you know what grinds my gears no is this a segment again do you know what grinds my gears no is when we see players talking on the sideline mm-hmm and then people just add commentary to what they're saying. This happened two weeks ago. Sam Darnold and Adam Gase, mm-hmm. after a fourth down, they were talking about something. It was a little animated. And then somebody added context to it. Look how, look how upset Sam Darnold is at Adam Gase. It's like, what do you mean? Like you, have, you have literally zero idea about what they're talking about. Mm-hmm. And after they claimed they were talking about what the receiver was doing, not like right. you screwed it up. So don't, don't do it. Stop projecting what they said on the sideline guys upset we have zero idea why anybody's upset what they're talking about what they're upset about and whose fault it is true we don't even know if they're upset at each other when they're yelling at each other it could just be general frustration it's an emotional game sam i I was a flag football champion in 04 i know the emotion all i'm saying is that odell was upset he pointed out towards onto the field and said it's because of him maybe he's saying marcus peters is too good i can't Entirely possible. Jimmy Smith plays sticky coverage. Also possible. I can't separate from these guys. Mm-hmm. Earl Thomas is patrolling the middle of the field, and he might take my head off, I'm afraid. Many, many different things could have been the thing. He See, I could have captioned that. I said, that's, um, let's try that. That'll be our little off-season game here. Yeah. So we'll just caption things and see if people catch on. What might be the most impressive thing about this Browns team is how completely and utterly incapable they are of manufacturing cheap free yardage the way everybody else is, right? We've talked before about how you could create like a comedy low-light reel of their tap passes. Yeah. Have you seen this play where they attempted some kind of trick throwback thing and got buried for like a seven-yard loss? Yeah. What is What the hell? How come they can't do this stuff? <laughs> it does 
sometimes look like they don't practice much. I honestly think I I need to look at this because I've said this a couple of times now and I haven't bothered checking it yet. Yeah. Look at this. Like so the best part about this is they pulled out 1988 near formation. Yeah. Like the offset. But I honestly want to check out if they if their trick stuff is telegraphed by the formations they line up in because it honestly looks like teams know they're coming to well, the point where they're just playing. I the, wish I could draw. They playing. literally lined up in the formation that is a dinosaur. Right. Like it's what the Niners used to run sure. with Montana. But I don't Offset, think that alone would, would say that, right? I, my well, point something's is... something's up when you're lined up like sure, that. Sure, but they run so many of these things that are just completely dead before the play even starts. I really want to know if they telegraph those with the formation or whatever they're doing because it's staggering how inept at those things they are. Um, again, Baker Mayfield was bad. Like, he is, he's just playing terribly. Like, ugly. Yeah. Not good. Um, I don't understand a lot of things, actually, about this Cleveland offense. I don't understand. So the Odell Beckham thing, you can at least put it down to the fact that the guy's been battling a sports hernia, right? I don't know why that would make you start dropping the ball randomly, but let's let's say we can explain away everything about Odell Beckham's performance by the fact that the guy hasn't had surgery that he probably should have had a few months ago. And let's put that down and give him a pass, right? Why has Baker's accuracy disappeared? So that's the thing. Like he, he had a, he's having Josh Allen type games. Yeah, because the high end throws were there. He threw the fade to Odell Beckham, which was fantastic. Except Seen most route. of the season they haven't been. No, no, I know. But like the in this game, two, three big time throws that were really good. Th- those were, but those were it for him. Um, you know, threw a bad interception late. You know, they were they were down two scores. He's trying to force it up there. Some questionable decisions and, and misses in there. There is just. It's the it's the same description I've used for Carson Wentz at times this year, where it's like you can see the big chunk plays. You know Baker plays a lot like Wentz, where it's like cannon for an arm. He can throw the the twenty yard out. These beautiful throws. Where's the easy stuff? Where's the efficient stuff? And part of that right. scheme, and part of that's him not reading it out, leaving clean pockets, and all that. He took a sack on fourth down, which was negated. He took a sack on fourth down. Which was horrendous. I mean, they got away with it after a, a face mask penalty. But he just... He also scr- made another disaster. This was like seven on. seconds into the play. Scrambled out, like, just chuck it up. Right. Fourth, also you know, another whatever. disastrous one of those where he's, like, scrambling out to ride. Nothing's happening. De- like, but, so the difference between him and Wentz, though, is that Baker was deadly accurate. Right? True. And so <laughs> one of the narratives in our whole sort of projecting, dra- or, yeah, projecting college to the NFL, it's like you can't really teach accuracy, right? If these guys are so bad at ac- at, in accuracy terms, it's, re- it's not a good thing. That's unlikely to fix itself at the next level. What I don't know that we ever even considered was what if a guy that's deadly accurate heads in the opposite direction at a rate of knots? Like you can't teach accuracy, but can you stop a guy losing it? Because that's what's happening to Baker. Whatever about so he's always had the propensity for a you know clanging decision every now and again a bad play an ugly turnover right. thing he's also always had the uh, a penchant for holding on the ball too long you know making some bad things happen that way but I don't understand why a guy's accuracy would completely abandon him like he's not under such a weight of pressure that it's it would explain a catastrophic collapse in accuracy. Um, and even if you know you isolate it to under to no pressure plays and all that kind of stuff, he has simply been significantly less accurate with the football. What the hell is with that? So I think 
so even though accurate accuracy is there's a couple ways to look at accuracy right because lamar this year throw for throw as far like he still missed a higher percentage of throws than you'd like to see but his pinpoint accuracy has been spectacular like he's again what romo was saying throwing the ball away from coverage and away from the leverage of defenders and and lamar's doing it at such like a confident level like you see lamar like with his multiple arm angles and he just looks extremely confident whereas a guy that's struggling with his accuracy might look the same way and you'd call it careless lamar feels like he's he knows where it's going every single time so my point is i think even though accuracy is like uh did you throw it accurately or did you not i think there are other things that go into it whether it's footwork and confidence and all these other things and baker is at the other end of that spectrum compared to lamar this season footwork and confidence and knowing where he's going with or whatever it is you hear that too Mm. i don't know what's going on there so i i wonder how much it is different coaches voices in the room whatever it is that just aren't you know that just aren't meshing with baker this year as well so yeah i mean look we've said this before everything in cleveland is wrong at the moment the offense the play calling the the accuracy of the quarterback the plays and the receiver the whole thing is a train wreck like the only thing that's functioning in that offense is nick chubb um but i the one thing that i don't really understand at all is how a quarterback goes from being deadly accurate to just not to not to just bad his accuracy has been extremely poor and that would have been one of his biggest calling cards heading into the season that confuses me to a huge degree but baker is another one of these quarterbacks for whom um it is important to point out this sample size thing, right? If you, so let's say you flip Baker's career. You say last year was this year, this year is last year. The narrative looks completely different, right? But ultimately we're left with slightly less than two full seasons worth of data. And heading into the third season, do we know anything? This, this goes back to your point about like a college player season, right? When he has a great junior season and a not right. so good season. I don't know season. what you do with that when it ends up, pointed in the wrong direction because it breaks all the narratives in your head but ultimately the play like if you're just looking at what this guy has on tape it's the same but the order in which you put them dictates the narrative yeah i think that there's that was the dac question right it was like great first year right went backwards two and three and then bounces up this year but heading into three what do you do with that yeah i mean dac look dac wasn't great yesterday but he went his best season was his rookie year and he went down and down and this year he bounced back up right right i mean that's the ebbs and flows of quarterbacks i keep saying that whole 2016 class dak has two years where he's been the highest graded quarterback out of him goff and wentz wentz has one year goff has one year (laughs) there are ebbs and flows to this thing it's not we're just starting to reach a point where i don't know if you ever know what the hell any quarterback is going to do ever why are we even podcasting we're five years into Jameis winston's career and i don't know what the hell he is no we know exactly what he is cesium yeah, so he's the mo- he's consistent. Right, but like he's you're heading into consistent. 2020, what's he going to do? He's going to be the same guy. I've been telling you that for years, and you're like, no, next year's the year. No, but, but the, you didn't read my article. He can be the same guy, but the output can look different. So you're you not get- actually ever expecting him to clean up. The- I've changed my tune a little bit. Oh. Right? So based off the data, Jameis, he might not have the year where he cuts down on the negatives or whatever, but he could have the year where 35 turnover-worthy plays are all dropped. You know, you have like 29 dropped interceptions. Mike Evans makes every contested catch. 
So if the other stuff around him goes perfectly right, the output looks great. So you've taken a significant step in the direction of me being right. We're going to go to the Saints and the Titans, 38-28. to 28, The Saints. What a turn of events. Win it. I'm still saying the same thing. He can have mm-hmm. an MVP caliber season st- statistically. Yeah, that's different. That's it's very subtly different, but it's different. Interesting game here. You've got two of the best passers in the league, Drew Brees and Ryan Tannehill going at it. Um, Brees was off early on. And this was another one of those games. Like we were saying, the Browns were like, hey, they're keeping it close with the Ravens. The Titans were doing a really nice job against the Saints offense. And then Jared Cook breaks free, little 15-yard wide-open pass turns into a 67-yard touchdown. Yeah, it was some bad defense. It was some bad defense. And the Saints never looked back. Um, Michael Thomas breaks the record for most receptions in a season. With a game to spare. Man, he he really is spectacular because... If it's man coverage, he finds a way to get open. If it's zone, obviously he's that's where Breeze is going to him. I mean, can't, cu- well, can't guard Mike. You yeah. got some stats on him, don't you? Yeah. I don't remember what they are, but I had them. I saw you on my Twitter. He's first at everything. That's just not even on my Twitter. I gave it to the main account. It, it'll be somewhere. Oh, it'll Where be tweeted it? out from uh, the PFF. Account. Yeah, he's basically, since he came into the league, he's first in many, many categories. Including uh, contested catches. Yes. So that's, it, it's kind of interesting because... So the debate about him is generally kind of fascinating, right? Because there's a decent portion of people that basically just dismiss him as a possession receiver, right? Because his average depth of target is tiny, right? He's the guy. But what's truly interesting to me is Drew Brees has has always been this kind of high-volume passer. A lot of his stuff is underneath. He has – Michael Thomas is by far his favorite target from a uh, percentage of – the passes he puts in the air standpoint, right? He's had favorite targets over the years, but nobody is even in the same ballpark as Michael Thomas. Like, he feeds him, like he, unlike the way he's fed any other receiver throughout his time. And even in this game, so Alvin Kamara had the second most targets in the game for the Saints with seven, right? Michael Thomas had 10 more than that. The next receiver, I mean, Jared Cook with four. The next wide receiver, Traquan Smith with two. Yeah. So he had 15 more targets than the next wide receiver on the Saints. Yeah, Thomas knows. I mean, you know that Thomas is getting the ball, but he's still able to catch 12 of those 17 targets for 136 and a score. So just the volume to which he has fed the ball is kind of amazing. And it's you do so. And that's part of the reason why there's so many contested catches, right? Because you know that guy's getting the ball. You're going to be blanketing him as much as he can. But they do a good job of moving him around, though. They put him in sure. the slot quite a bit. And if it's man coverage, they can work the back shoulder game. They, he runs option routes. He could do it all, you know? And right. that's, that's a big part of it. But it is interesting that, you know, the whole dynamic there is, yes, he, he is an unusual receiver in terms of usage because he has fed the ball more than anybody else. They move him around to make sure that you can't just clamp down on him because of that. Um, and even with that, he's going to face a ton of contested catches because there's only so much you can do to free up a guy. And yet he's still able to catch more passes than anybody else in the NFL. So he, I, I think there is an argument to say that he's the best wide receiver in the NFL. I also think there's a discussion to be had about the, the way that he's used compared with other great receivers in the NFL, like Julio Jones, the DeAndre Hopkins, whatever. It is a different usage pattern that both benefits and hurts him, I think. And, you know, the the extent to which each one of those is true is sort of up for debate. Do you remember Eric Eager's comp for uh, Michael Thomas? 
Uh, Chris Carter? Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty fair, right? Uh, sure. Uber possession guy? Hmm. I mean, it's like possession plus. Type right. Of high volume, win at any level type of guy. I don't know that he has the... The comp doesn't have to be clean across the board. Spectacular right. receptions. Chris yeah, Carter the comp has. doesn't have to be clean across the board, but from a production standpoint, I think that's very similar. All right. Great. Um, Breeze, are you going to break this down on the uh, beyond the box score this week? He had three passes that easily could have been picked. So a couple were worse than others. Maybe. I haven't decided. Um, but he started out slow, but he threw a couple beauties in there, including the seam, um, Jared Cook up the seam. I mean, that's the difference. We mentioned the Lamar touchdown that he threw to Mark Andrews and this Breeze touchdown to Jared Cook. Neither guy was open. I mean, it's one of those, you get the quarterbacks at the top of the drop, you're like, where are you going to throw it? There's zero place to throw the ball. But if you put it in a perfect spot, you're creating a touchdown opportunity for him. Um, that's what Breeze did to cook up the seam. Tannehill on the other side, weird game. He gets sacked seven times, including, well, five officially. But five out of his 12 pressure dropbacks ended up in sacks. Not all completely on him. It was one of those, like, when the line was bad, it was really bad. Nobody was open type of thing. He does always seem to hold the ball a tick longer, but he made some spectacular throws again. Yeah. End zone. He had a nice fade to A.J. Brown. He had the end zone scramble for a touchdown. Tannehill, as far as throwing the ball goes, has been awesome. Must cut down on on some of those sacks, though, and those negative plays that came back to bite. The Saints also dialed up the blitz really well in this game, so a lot of those were were tough spots for him. Um, But obviously that sort of taking more sacks thing than you should was a— was a Marcus Mariota problem. Right. Um, but I think in this, this was more the defense did a really good job of giving him nowhere to go than it was him just being awful. Yeah, and they were dialing it up on plays where they had longer developing routes, and it just wasn't. A.J. Brown is pretty amazing. Yeah, yeah. In a, you know, in a, in a game with... Um, end around for, what, 50 yards? Right, which was such... So, it, you know, usually an end around for 50 yards, you're like, that's some pretty terrible defense. But he makes this ridiculous cut early on to get him, like, back inside as opposed to trying to get to the edge and go around it that broke him into all the space um he just continues to make big time plays when you're given the opportunity almost like he's a better player than Corey davis hall of famer well look when you have two potential hall of famers he had a couple nice battles with marshawn Lattimore in the secondary um but it was a good game it lived up to the hype of a of a really good game and i think the saints you know continue to show um this wasn't Breeze's best game throwing the ball because he took he took more sacks than he usually takes. It wasn't his best game throwing the ball. He did make a number of good throws, but he missed more than he usually uh, misses, and they're still able to score 38. Right. So this ended up being a pretty good game for the Saints in terms of laying down a marker because early on in the game, it looked like every now and again the Saints have one of those games where you're like the Deshaun Watson game. We're like, what the hell are you doing? They just lay an egg. They stink, right? And yeah. you're like, okay, well, let's – Let's dismiss that one as a bad day at the office. Um, it looked early on like this is what was going to happen. A Tennessee team just goes out there and starts stomping all over them, and then they end up coming back. They end up, you know, a 10-point uh, victor. Andrew Brees didn't play particularly well. Yep. So now you're like, right, the Saints were able to beat a team that was pretty hot with a quarterback playing well, um, without Brees playing well, and having started in a hole. And, and That's the, pretty ominous. And the stats ended up really good. 27 of 38 for 279, three touchdowns, 118 passer rating. It was some of those early turnover-worthy plays. I mean, right. floated deep ball and things like that that they got away with. But um, really good offensive line play again from the Saints. That 
Alvin, Kam- um, Alvin Kamara finally found the end zone yeah. on the ground for the first time since, what, week three? He went like 41 yards untouched, well blocked at the point of attack. So, you know, again, I think the difference between the, Saint- the Drew Brees-led Saints since 2017 is that they can win games in different ways. Right. But that, this was a big sort of signature um, win for them in a way some of the others have, you know, in a different way than some of the others have. But this puts them in the number two seed heading into the Monday Night Football. The Packers can take it back. Right. But again, we've talked about, you know, the home, how important the home field advantage stuff is. Them potentially locking up that too is, is big. Yeah, they've got a pretty good percentage chance of at least getting a bye. Uh, and number one still on the table. Whereas the uh, the Titans, they they win and they're in next week still, this game, um, because I think their tiebreakers end up coming down to conference record and different things like that. This didn't mean a whole lot, even coming into the week. And they were aided by other teams losing. So uh, Titans still control their own destiny. Nobody wants to see Tannehill in the playoffs. They don't? No. I want to see him in the playoffs. No, like no opposing oh, team. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah sorry. We do. It. NFL I fans want to see him. PFF podcast hosts want to see him. Yeah. But maybe not opposing teams. It's Will Greer time. Yeah. But before we get to Will Greer, it's actually Manscaped time. Yes. Yes. It's not Jingle Balls to the Wall time? No. That's not what they told us. But hey, it's Manscaped. What is it? They they provide support for the PFF podcast here. Hmm. What kind of support, Steve? They're the best in men's below-the-belt grooming. Below-the-belt support? Yes. I see. That's what they're here for. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's what. That's the truth. It is. They designed this whole thing to create a safe manscaping experience. Safe, safe space for manscaping. I was thinking about this the other day. What's the testing process for this? I like this, this got, they, they went to great lengths because the Lawnmower 1.0, which was good, huh. wasn't good enough. No, which good. is why the Lawnmower 2.0 and their proprietary skin safe technology. That appears, I mean, that would seem to be a significant leap forward, right? If you're going to let like a battery powered razor go, go nuts next year nuts, you're going to want to make sure it has skin-safe technology. Yeah, because otherwise bad things could happen pretty quickly. That's why the 2.0... That's where trauma. you're supposed to generate those funny host-led manscaping stories. Yeah, funny story. I, I let the 1.0 loose and just tore things asunder. Who hasn't been bleeding all over the bathroom floor? <laughs> Not with Manscaped, though. You won't nick or snag your nuts with the lawnmower 2.0. Manscaping accidents are finally a thing of the past. <laughs> I would have thought there's a limited degree to which that's a funny story. What? Yeah, a funny story. I was bleeding all over the bathroom floor. If I just if I speak in hypotheticals, we can uh we can all relate. <laughs> <It's> <sighs> just, I, I, there's a limited degree to which I can see the humor in a guy, you know, bleeding all over the floor. But you don't have to anymore because you don't have to use the same trimmer that you use on your face on your balls. Well that is a relief. Manscaped also has the crop preserver, <laughs> anti-chafing ball deodorant, and moisturizer. It's all part of the perfect package, man. The perfect package. 20% off. This is what you get. 20% off plus free shipping with the promo code PFF. It's manscaped.com. We've got Michael over here. He's typing it in right now. He's mm. over there right now typing in his promo code PFF. 20% off plus free shipping. Always use the right tools for the job, fellas. Who does not want to find ball deodorant under the tree this Christmas? Seriously. Can they get it in time here? Christmas is coming soon. 20% off free shipping. Promo codes PFF. Manscaped.com. 
Go check him out right now. Mm, do. Do. Speaking of balls. Yes. Will Greer. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. It was a rough outing for Will. It was. Um, 38-6, to Indianapolis Colts beat the Carolina Panthers. So let's start with saying he was not helped by the fact that the Colts uh, kept running back punts for touchdowns. Yeah. Um, two of them in this game. 195 yards on punt returns. Naheem Hines just kept scoring every time they punted in the ball. Um, so that was a problem. And nobody cares about the punt game. So quite early in this game, though, Will Greer was in, I'm going to need to pass all day to come back. Yeah, so so I got three three big takeaways in this game. Okay. Will Greer looked uncomfortable. Yes. Christian McCaffrey was spectacular. Sure. And this was in a, he caught like 12 checkdowns and just made something happen on all of them. It didn't matter at all. I mean, they, they scored six points, but he yeah. was spectacular to watch, fun to watch. Let's, let's agree to that. And I thought as... I don't want to completely blame Will Greer. I really thought the Colts cornerbacks, and the grades are going to back it up and all that stuff, but Pierre Desir and Rocky Asin, spectacular. Mm. I mean, those guys were in tight coverage the entire game. Man, zone, making plays. They were outstanding. So let's start with the caveats, right? Mm -hmm. One, Will Greer had to attempt 52, or had 52 dropbacks in this game, had to attempt 44 passes. That's not ideal. You're trying to ease a rookie in who you're pretty sure isn't ready for it. That's not a great scenario. Game script not in his favor. Yeah. Two, loses his best receiver to a knock to the head quite early on. DJ yep. Moore goes out. Concussion protocol doesn't come back. Right. Now you're down. Your best receiver, you're left throwing to a combination of a geriatric broken down Greg Olson. Um, he did look pretty slow. Right. And Curtis Samuel, like, who's like four foot two. Uh, Jarius Wright who I haven't checked after this game, but heading into the game, he'd had like 46 targets on the year, and you actually would have had a better passer rating if you just thrown the ball at the ground every time 46 times. Let's see where he's at now. I doubt it got better given uh, Will Greer's overall numbers. Um, so that's not the best situation in the world, right? What's his passer rating? Well, yesterday it was 3.3. 3.3? After a 2.8 the previous week. What? That can't be right. Passes targeting Jarius Wright this year have a passer rating of 28.3. There you go. So it got worse. All right. No, I know. I'm just I'm saying this week it was 3.3. Oh, I thought you meant this. Yeah, okay. No, so, I, yes. So for the year, throwing at Jarius Wright has yielded worse results than just throwing the ball at the ground 50 times. I'd be better off throwing this one, just firing it right, right. off the ground. So what I'm saying here is that Will Greer did not have the best situation in the world to be working with, right? Right. There is a reason. I mean— the Kyle Allen disaster has not been all Kyle Allen, right? There's been problems around him as well. Sure. That being said, Greer did not look good. Um, basically didn't complete anything outside the numbers. Yeah, according to my... So the notes I wrote down as I reviewed this game, um, he looked like he was way too content throwing off platform and vacating clean pockets. So he's just yeah. not... There's Look, it's his, it's his rookie... First game. It's his debut. It's his debut. He's not comfortable going through progressions. His very first pass, he went one to two, and he didn't set his feet, and he overthrew it. Mm -hmm. Did that later in the game. Footwork was terrible. He's stepping that way and throwing that way, overthrow for a turnover-worthy throw. And I would say here's the bigger concern. We mentioned the other day, like, hey, a lot of his big-time throws, like over 60% of them came on touch passes, over-the-shoulder type stuff. He just missed on one, but he underthrew another. Like, he wasn't. 
the the passes that should be his strength, which I thought the Panthers did a pretty good job of manufacturing some of them. He wasn't hitting those. Right. Like if he's gonna if he's gonna hit, he's got to hit the NFL throws more consistently but he also has to hit on those big time throws that he was hitting at west virginia so right. at the very minimum you've got to do the things that you were doing well otherwise yeah. you have nothing left he also in uh, this happened at west virginia quite a bit he reminds me of what you like to call christian ponder syndrome yeah i do can you describe that for our christian listeners? ponder syndrome is um an nfl quarterback who in college was among the better athletes on the team and could outrun big lumbering defensive lineman that chased him out of the pocket, right? So a fat guy causes pressure, starts to chase you down, you're like, head off into the flat, outrun him for five yards, right? In the NFL, those big fat guys are better athletes than you are, and you need to learn that and get rid of the ball when that happens. Christian Ponder never learned that, and for his entire career would break the pocket and be chased down by a 340-pound fat guy and end up with a sack or a turnover because he never learned that he was no longer faster than that guy. That's what it felt like. That's what it, that's what it felt like at West Virginia. What Will Greer, so it showed up in college, just didn't quite get a feel for the speed of the game when he's trying to make things happen right. outside the pocket. So room to improve for Greer. We'll see what happens in week 17 at home against the Saints. The other caveat, or not even caveat, the other thing to point out is what we said heading into the game is that there's literally nothing he can show in two weeks that really means anything. In no, terms I agree. Of his projection, like Baker Mayfield, were two seasons in and have no freaking idea what he looks like heading into 2020. Still want to see improved comfort levels. Sure. Because at, mean, least, so, at least Drew Locke, remember, showed signs of life. Well, Greer's problem is that he has now, he's now got one game to show. He actually needs to play well in Week 17 to even have any possible future. Otherwise, like they're changing, the, they're changing the regime in Carolina. They're bringing in a whole bunch of front office people. They're obviously already changing the head coach. He's a um, he's a part of the old system who wasn't heavily committed in anyway because he was a third rounder, right? Right. So you literally have one game to go out there and play well enough that the new regime says, okay, there's something to this guy. We need to keep him around and at least see if he can develop. If he stinks in week 17. He may not be on the roster in a year's right. time. Like he, his entire NFL career may already be gone based off a two-game sample size, which we know is meaningless. I mean, I'd still find a roster roster spot for him on my team just to sure, but just you, to see if something would happen. Yeah, but. you as we know are not a conventional uh, thinker when it comes so, to quarterback. I was thinking about this analysis. the other day. If I just if I just stopped punting, my team's going to stop <laughs> punting, right? How many roster spots does that open up for me to just accumulate quarterbacks? What? So I can accum- I want to accumulate no cuz there's all the special teamers nobody's on the team there's a just lot, for punting there's a lot Except of the punter but there's a lot of players where it's like not I unless could, you're planning on eliminating the kickoff as no, well I'm saying mm, what do you mean mm, you, I mean you actually have to kick off it's in the rules kick it through the end zone It's okay so you get a kick right I'm going to kick it through the end zone and I'm going to stop put any 10 or any yeah any 10 stooges is your kickoff coverage team. I'm going to open up like six cover. or seven roster spots where I don't have to be like, oh, I need my fifth string linebacker to play teams. Well, what are you going to do with them? I'm going to carry five quarterbacks. Five quarterbacks. And I'm going what to What are you going to do with those quarterbacks? You don't have the reps. I'm going to develop them all. Where? Mental reps. How? There are so many mental reps that you can take now. You're going to use virtual reality. Yeah. You're going to have them just sitting there with the VR, with the Oculus Rift. I'm going to have like three quarterback coaches. That's what you guys are going to be doing all day. They're going to be overcoached. Yeah, yeah. VR, the huh. whole thing. Wow. So multiple quarterbacks, and then we're going to have 
I want you need depth at receiver, you need depth at O line, you need depth at these non special teams positions. So think about it. If I had if I had like eight viable receivers, think about the mismatches you could create there. I got my contested catch guys, I got my yak guys. It'd be like a college team. You can roll eight receivers out there. I can't get past the mental image of your you having this room somewhere like Johnny Mnemonic with just five QBs with a phone strapped to their eyes. It's not all VR. There's just other, going through the progressions. There's other ways to do it. I no, I, I'm that's my image. I'm don't ruin it for me. That's what I want to see in Steve's GM office. Can't wait. It's going to be great. Um, anyway, just to, to recap on the, the Colts defense, good job by them. Uh, Pierre Desir with a 90.2 grade. He might be up for team of the week. I'll find out right after the podcast. Yeah. And uh, Rocky Asin with a really nice game. And Anthony Walker with a really nice game at linebacker. All those guys made a ton of plays on the ball. Walker had a pick. Desir had two picks, three pass breakups. Yassin had a pass breakup. So uh, nice game by the Colts defense. Yes. Poor Will Greer. Poor Will Greer. Dolphins 38. One of the best games in the, of the week. Bengals 35. In a game that meant nothing to anybody it except meant a the lot. first overall pick. It which meant both teams were trying to get out of. This was spectacular. Our guy. Uh, you, heading into this week, were postulating that the Bengals at some point might like take knees rather than attempt to win the game. Instead, they execute like a game tying drive. Get the two-point conversion to send it to overtime. Well, the players, like, Andy Dalton doesn't care about Joe Burrow. Andy Dalton's trying to win. I mean, our, our guy Timo recapped it really well and wrote out all of the things that happened in this game. How ridiculous is this? Imagine if this was like a Thursday night game or one that everybody was tuned into. He said it was meaningful. It was, it was meaningful. It was a meaningful game. But touchdown on fourth down. Then they got the two-point conversion. Then they got a successful onside kick. Mm-hmm. Then they scored a 29-yard touchdown with zero time on the clock mm-hmm. from, like, the 26-yard line, no, 29-yard line, obviously. Sorry. And then another two-point conversion. So they were down 16. Yeah. Fourth down touchdown. Two-point conversion. Onside kick. 29-yard touchdown as time expires and another two-point conversion. And still lost. Yeah, but that's the most insane. That makes the 16, 2016 Patriots blush, that type of 16-point comeback. That was incredible. Andy Dalton. Yeah, this was absurd. Like, this game was dead and buried, and somehow it goes to overtime and then drags on for an age until it's finally ended. And ultimately, the Bengals do have the number one overall pick and presumably will be drafting Joe Burrow. Dalton sprints to the end zone for the second two-point conversion, and he's like, no, Joe, you're not coming to Cincinnati this time. Mm. I'm, st- I'm keeping my job. That's what he was saying on his way. Not so much, Andy. Not so much. But then the Dolphins won in, in overtime. Yeah. Um, what was I going to say? Uh, Carlos Dunlap is having like a career year. He's been fantastic. 30 years of age on a team that's going for the number one overall pick. That was pretty impressive. I showed you this page before. I mean, you just look at it, and it's just like... Phew consistency yeah he's a model this year of consistency Um, and then the other interesting thing of this game which you pointed out is like ryan fitzpatrick is genuinely having you know two of the best years of his career this is the best two-year stretch of his career and he i think he just deserves i put it in my takeaways this morning he just just deserves a ton of credit he is genuinely one of my favorite players to watch um because of his propensity for yolo balls right does not give a crap he is just going out there slinging it and seeing what happens the other thing that i find kind of hilarious is that he puts like his very soul into a 10 yard out 
right? He has such a modest arm, shall we say, that he needs to, like, put his life force into just driving the thing to the sideline just to get it there. Look. And it's just funny. I'm not building my franchise around Fitz at this point, but watching him play, like, doesn't it throw a wrench on a lot of the things that we say with uh, when we look at quarterbacks coming out of the draft? Like, if you watched him, remember when we went, we, we were there at Jets practice a few years ago. Remember we were at Jets practice? I do. And we're watching him and Geno Smith yeah. throw the ball side by side. Geno's got a nice fluid motion, ball kind of jumps out of his hand, nice tight spiral. I mean, Fitz is full wind-up. He's got a terrible arm and a long throwing motion. Yeah. That should not play. Like, if, he's, if he was getting drafted, he would never get, dra- he would never get drafted again. Yeah, well, he didn't. I know, but, like, right now, he would still never get drafted. But he still finds a way to play efficient NFL football. And as much of a Fitz coaster and Fitz magic, whatever, we've seen throughout his career, this is the best two-year stretch that he's had. Now, last year, it was a little easier to explain away. Like, oh, you're throwing it up to Mike Evans, and Chris Godwin's emerging, and Deshaun Jackson's getting behind the defense. Look at all these playmakers in Tampa Bay. But what he's doing in Miami, like, if Josh Rosen was in this situation— they probably don't win a game as expected. Right. They weren't. And Fitz has led them to four wins. He's led them in shootout situations in, in certain at certain times. He's extracted a career year out of Devontae Parker. And he's playing behind the worst pass-blocking unit in the NFL. I mean, any other quarterback, and maybe it's just because he is so aggressive that he could— he could stumble into this, but he, man, I am just impressed with what Fitz has been able to do here. Ryan Fitzpatrick has already made Devontae Parker many millions of dollars. Absolutely. You know the yes. idea that like at the end of every season, a running back that made a thousand yards goes and buys their entire offensive line like an ATV <laughs> yeah. or a Rolex or whatever? Yeah. Like they drop serious money on those five guys. And to be fair, the numbers say they're 100% correct, too, on the basis that running backs <laughs> appear to be line. pretty much interchangeable. And the thing that determines whether you got yardage or not is the guys blocking in front of you. So 100% on board with that. Having said that, they might not be responsible for as large a percentage of that money as, Devon, as Ryan Fitzpatrick is for the amount of cash that, uh, that Devontae Parker is about to make. Somebody's going to look at this season. So many downfield opportunities. And say, this guy, the light went on. He has become the go-to and really what happened is Ryan Fitzpatrick just went and YOLO'd him all the opportunity in the world to make plays and made him tens of millions of dollars. Yeah. Like, Devontae Parker should be buying Ryan Fitzpatrick like a boat to retire on. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. It's been, it's been awesome, man. I'm just impressed by Fitz. And, you know, we talked a lot about tanking coming into the year and all that stuff. What, what would we do as GM? You know, would we always go for the number one pick? And I told you my wife talked me into building culture and trying to win. Mm. Maybe there's something to that with Fitz, right? He's, you know, he's getting all these guys to elevate their play. And, you know, who cares if you pick third instead of first and all that stuff? He's maybe he's the ultimate bridge quarterback that yeah. you want with that young team and, and pulling. The counterpoint to that out. is that now you don't have a shot at Joe Burrow, who might be the only great quarterback in this draft. Strong counterpoint. Thank you. Dolphins win 38 yeah. to 35, but... The Bengals really win the Joe Burrow sweepstakes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Jets. They're six. on the clock. Let me skip. Let me, let's just go right to the Giants. Can reference. we set that clock to like six months? Yes. Let's put a six month. That's what we need. How many yeah. months are we? Four? We draft set timer. the clock to four months? Four month draft timer. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to circle back to Jets and uh, Steelers because the Chase Young Bowl uh-huh. also went into overtime. Somebody looked this up. This was the 
only season in history where two 35 to 35 games went to overtime. Okay. The only season in NFL history out of their 100 Why seasons. I didn't even look that up. I don't know, but it's a great stat. It's so, not. It's a terrible stat. So it's the only season in history where there was two 35 to 35 ties that went into overtime, and they both happened in the 1 o'clock window here in week, week 16. I don't even understand why that would ever occur to somebody to check. There's a lot of, like, uh, Scorigami fans. What? Scorigami? Scorigami or something? What? It's like unique scores and stuff. Like, oh, this, it was Scorigami? What? It's like origami, but like with scores. 23. Origami is the folding of paper to make interesting shapes. It's like the the folding of... uh, how does that relate to scores? That's what they call, there's like a whole site that keeps track of it. It's like, oh, this 37 to uh, 24 win was, this is the only time this score has ever been used or whatever has ever happened. I, I, there are people that keep track of that stuff. I, so I get that. What I don't understand is how that becomes analogous with I don't know, look paper it up. folding to create interesting animals. I'm sorry I brought it up. Okay. Anyway, Giants 41, Redskins 35. Daniel Jones. Mm. Spectacular in this one. Yeah, so the Daniel Jones, um, Dwayne Haskins shootout got robbed because Haskins got hurt, and we had to get Case Keenum for the ass end of it, who, to be fair, maintained his part of the shootout. It's just it Keenum became did less... a great job. Right. Haskins was off to a great start. That's that what was... I mean. It just became yeah. less compelling because we lost the first-round rookie shootout and had to replace one of them with Case Keenum. Um, but this was fun. This game was... I thought both rookies looked really good. Haskins, obviously, for a shorter amount of time. But Daniel Jones, credit where it's due, played really well in this game. This was the game where, you know, the the idea that Jameis Winston can stop the bad plays. I mean, Daniel Jones, we've talked about being Jameis light over the season. If Jameis is cesium, Daniel Jones is potassium or whatever the next one down was. Um, And the key is, can he cut out the negative turnover-worthy plays? And in this game, he did. Kind of did. Right. There was a fumble in there. Made some really nice throws, though. Um, they did a really nice job with, you know, they, they snuck Saquon up the up the seam. Saquon had a huge game. He had a huge game running the ball and, you know, catching the ball. I know my fantasy team got smoked by him. So I was going to say, I, right? there was a lot of people who, like, you know, basically struggled their way through to the, the postseason with Saquon on their team and then got rewarded with this game. Yeah, he's just clutch. Oh, okay. He's clutch. I see. He is a fantasy superstar. Um, really nice game by Daniel Jones. Though. It's credit where credit is due. That's what I'm saying. Now, but then I see you on Twitter arguing with a famous importer exporter. What? Art Vandelay. You and Art going head to head on Twitter. Who the hell is Art? He's an importer exporter. <laughs> okay. What? You don't like Seinfeld, so you don't even. You no, know. no, I don't. It's all from Seinfeld. I see. It's a whole Seinfeld thing. Okay. Yeah. Art Vandalay is an importer exporter. Uh, very, yeah. Imports diapers or exports. He does something. But okay. you were arguing with them back and forth. And, you know, you guys were, I don't know. I, I think you overreact a little bit to your, to your mentions, to well, small sample size Giants mentions. It's a lot of people. I know, but like if. I mean, you wouldn't know because you have many fewer followers than me. Just so. But when you so, have a follower count as large as mine. It gets me quite overwhelming. You've got me by like four thousand. <laughs> Everybody unfollow Sam so I can catch up. You're getting lapped by the fantasy guys. You're getting you. You're, your Twitter is kind yeah, of an embarrassment. Fantasy season. It's fantasy. Look, we've be been back. meaning to talk to you about the level of your Twitter. You Who need has to been? Up, all of us in the, the content side of things. You need to up your game because you're starting to embarrass us. 
How am I embarrassing you? By having less followers than the rest of us. Huh. You guys talk about that? A little bit. I have more than everybody except you. Surely Ratcliffe's passed you now, right? It's fantasy season. Right? He hasn't passed me. We get, I catch back up? Has Barrett passed you yet? I don't pay attention to this stuff. Huh. Okay. Listen. All right. All right. I'm moving on. So anyway, have my, my, me and Michael over here, we're going to build my Instagram account. Hmm. All right. So that's where the people this are. started because Twitter, as we talked about before, is just a gotcha platform based off one game sample size. And you were right? got. So a whole bunch of Giants fans jumped into my mentions were like, ah, what do you think about Daniel Jones now? And you're like, the same thing as I thought about him a week ago. This game changed nothing. Hmm. One game changes nothing. Right? And then everyone's like, well, it's not one game. It's the fourth game in which he had 300 yards on four touchdowns. Like, this random ass stat that only he has achieved. Those are the Cam Newton stats that get thrown at me. Right. Did you know he has the most yards ever in a first start? Like, so you're like, okay, great. correct. My point was not that he has only had one good game this year. My point was that one good game changes nothing in my outlook. Right? If I thought he was X heading into this game, I still think he's X at the end of this game. It didn't massively warp my opinion of I him. need more takes from you. We need more hot takes. I've given... So then, you should apologize to Daniel Jones for doubting him. Then there were a bunch of people that were like, I, apparently I need to couch every opinion I make on this podcast with, in my opinion, as opposed to that being self-evident because it's me talking on a podcast. That's what Art said to you. Yeah. So in my opinion, I have given many, Daniel, or I've given many takes. Yeah. But my point is simply that it will not change based off one game against the Redskins who don't have a secondary. I'm going to give the positive... Daniel Jones take. I already gave the positive. He played really well. It just I, didn't change my outlook of it. Even though, even though I made this mistake with Jameis Winston, <laughs> Jones has this high, he's got the positives, right? Um, I wanted to mention this about Derek Carr earlier, that Derek Carr's 2016 season was one of the biggest outliers of the last 10 years in that he was generally at this level and then he became a top 10 quarterback for one year. And the difference was his positively graded throws in our system went through the roof because they are the least stable. I don't know where Jones ranks right now in positively graded throws, but you can see he, he adds value. He's, an, he's a value-add type of guy. I don't know if he's at Jameis' level as like he's going to be a top five positively graded throw type of guy, but he's capable. So they'll, can he cut back on all those fumbles and those like four or five times per game where he's just a tick slow in the pocket, whether it's due to a fumble or taking a sack or whatever it is, I can see that process speeding up. And I think if you look at what he's dealt with, I know Darius Slayton's gone behind the defense a ton this year and Golden Tate's made some nice plays, but overall, not the best situation in the world. And I also think Shermer deserves some credit. as Even though they haven't won games and he's the head coach, I think this offense, even last year with Eli, has overachieved what they what their output should have been. Now, but they're but they're sitting there with a bottom five roster, especially on the defensive side of the ball. That part is true. I think Shermer, people are probably calling for his head, right? Because he's only won a handful of games the last couple of years. Yeah. I think with better, ta- I think he's done a pretty good job with the offense, and I think if the defense adds some talent, they get a shot. Daniel Jones, and but, but Here's this the is thing. But just to wrap it. That's what our whole take was. Like the high end stuff from Daniel Jones is kind of there. Like we've seen a lot of it this year. But but there's he's up and down. Yes, I think the commentary about Daniel Jones' situation is largely off. I think his situation actually isn't that bad at all. Um, he has 
a reasonable receiving group that I don't think is dragging him in the wrong direction and if anything is actually helping. Um, he has a scheme who people are trying to crap all over in Pat Shermer and his system that has proven to get good results out of marginal yeah. quarterbacks and I actually think is doing a reasonable job this season. I agree there. The biggest area of criticism is his offensive line because Nate Solder has been something of a revolving door. Um, but even the offensive line has not been that bad. And the critical thing that nobody thinks about regarding that is that quarterbacks affect their offensive line performance massively. So this idea of – so a lot of people are like, well, he'll, he'll clean up the fumbles, right? Year two, he'll get better. He'll tidy it up. It's a ball security problem. Um, look at Lamar. Lamar fumbled a lot last year. Now he hasn't fumbling anymore. The difference there is that Lamar was legitimately fumbling in the course of carrying the ball. It was ball security, right? That the fumbles for Daniel Jones are not the—they're not the disease. They are a symptom of the the illness, right? So Daniel Jones fumbles a lot because he holds the ball a long time and has crappy pocket awareness, right? right. So yes, some of these Nate Solders getting smoked and looks like a turnstile. A lot of them, though, are Daniel Jones hanging on the ball for an age and inviting pressure and causing more problems to the offensive line and eventually leading to issues. Remember, there was a play. Also, there's other ones where he just had really crappy ball security. There was a play where Jamal Adams ran in, stole the ball from like a child and ran off into the end zone. Right. That's not a oh, he'll get better at that thing. That's a, that was that was pitiful. You looked like a small child who got abused. Um, so. This idea of the offensive line hanging him out to dry, to an extent, the offensive line has not been good, but you need to start thinking about what effect Daniel Jones himself has on that. Now, I think there's a decent chance that gets better. We talked before about how the biggest failing of young quarterbacks is that, that the slowness of their processing for this stuff manifests itself most clearly in holding on to the ball too long and inviting pressure and all that kind of stuff. Minshew, Daniel Jones, like all, Baker, all these, this is the thing they suck at early, right? So I think there is a reasonable chance that he gets better at that, but it, it will manifest itself in less pressure coming on him and, the offen- and the, therefore less fumbles happening. Not like, oh, if, it's, if we just fix the offensive line, he's great. Like this is a thing he needs to get better at. So I, I generally think that the narrative surrounding Daniel Jones is that this guy has been stuck in a crappy situation, and look at all the great plays he's making. Like, if we just make things better around him, he'll be a superstar. I don't think that's true. I think his situation actually isn't that bad at all. And if he gets better at a few things, now we're talking. So, yeah, I think... So my whole thing is, if you've got a guy that's capable of... that's aggressive and capable of making all the throws, so to speak, which is overused, like Jones has made some pretty spectacular throws this year... Mm -hmm. Then if you really improve his situation, right, like you throw a Jerry Judy into the mix, like if they doubled up at receiver sure, and Evan Ingram's back out there and Golden Tate's your yak guy and Slayton's still getting by on the defense, like, wow, there's Jones is a guy that can distribute yep. to all these playmakers. And then we always diminish the value of the running back because like McCaffrey in isolation, they can't do it. But if they're the third or fourth option, if McCaffrey's the third or fourth option and there's great receivers around him, man, you're, you're kind of afraid of McCaffrey because checkdowns, you know, go from two yards to ten yards. And then you've got other guys to worry about. That was, that was Barkley yesterday, right? If Barkley's like the other option in the pass game that you kind of have to account for, not the option in the pass game, mm-hmm. he's scary. So that's why I can see this. I, I might change my Jones comp here from Nick Foles uh-huh. 
he's starting to look a little bit like Joe Flacco. Wow. Now, that has negative connotation. Yes. I don't think it should, but I'm not saying it in a negative way. 2008 was his first season, 65 grade. That's where Jones is right about in that 65 range. Mm -hmm. And I'm not completely changing my comp. I mean, it's like nothing's cut and dry, right? But Jones has shown similarities to Eli, which we've beat a dead horse there. Similarities to Nick Foles. There's some similarities to Joe Flacco. Mm, Okay. So what's interesting is that people are now using... A lot of this, you know, this is a tweet, you know, will do well. So you throw it out there and then this is now the narrative. Everyone is using this idea of, well, this is his like fourth game of the season where he's thrown 300 yards, four touchdowns and no interceptions. The first time anybody's ever done that. That's just a quirk of stats, right? Those are box score numbers that may or may not indicate good play. Now, he's had good games, but right now. That was the Trubisky stat. It right. was 17 qualifiers. Exactly. His- so right now, his touchdown to interception ratio is, or touchdown to interceptions are 23 to 11, right? So 2 to 1-ish, right? That looks great. 2 to 1 is where you want to live in touchdown to interceptions. Everybody's, everybody's happy. Also, some good yardage. Like, those look great. Big time throws, 16. Turn of worthy plays, 28. Because that factors in the fumbles and stuff that the bad plays that don't show up. Yeah, those are poor. So that almost swings it in the opposite direction. He is those box score numbers of just touchdown interception ratio massively flatter Daniel Jones. The fact that he's the first quarterback, rookie quarterback ever to have X yards, Y touchdowns and Z interceptions is a quirk of numbers because he has thrown a ton or had a ton of turnover worthy plays. Apparently, they've just avoided themselves in four separate games one of which came against the Washington Redskins yeah. that A, has a garbage secondary, and B, was down to the backup garbage secondary. Yeah, right? we said the same thing about the Trubisky stat a few weeks ago. Right. That those, was, those are quirks of statistics. A, there's a Chandler Jones one. He, he's the, f- the first guy since Robert, Ma- Robert Mathis to have 15 sacks and eight forced fumbles. It's like, right. great, great season. The one that put him over the top was the unblocked strip sack of Russell Wilson right. yesterday. So, obviously, PFF grades factor in every single play of all these quarterbacks right we are trying to quantify what they do from a throws from a fumbles all this right right now daniel jones is the 24th graded quarterback in the nfl he is four spots behind baker mayfield who we just talked through is playing like garbage he is three spots behind gardner Minshew, for whom the wheels have fallen off he is two spots behind Jameis winston the only more volatile quarterback in the nfl he is one spot behind dwayne haskins the guy who he was dueling with back and forward before Haskins went down. He is three spots above Mitchell Trubisky, who has been a disaster for a giant portion of the season. Daniel Jones has shown a lot of impressive stuff for a rookie. He has, I think, exceeded what I expected of him coming into this season. But he has not been that good. That's why I kind of like my... uh... Joe Flacco comp. Where Joe Flacco was. You're going to get more hate for comping him to Joe Flacco than I have in 10 minutes of tearing him down. I'm going to wrap it up. We're going to move on. But Joe Flacco early in his career was capable of making big time throws. Big arm was chucking the ball outside the numbers like crazy. Had a pretty good rookie season where they dragged him to the AFC championship. Baltimore's defense. After that point, though, 09, 10, 11, 12. um, That obviously he won a Super Bowl in 2012. He had some horrible play within there. But he was the guy that was capable of going on a run, and you could get pretty good production out of him when you gave him an Anquan Bolden, you gave him a Todd Heap, he had Derek Mason early in his career. He had these guys that could get open and guys that could go up and make contested catches and take advantage of his aggressiveness. Now, 
starting in about 2013 or 14, he lost that aggressiveness. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Also got it, had it depleted. I mean, mm-hmm. for yeah. all these things we joke about Flacco, he had nobody to throw to right. for multiple years. Yeah. Right? So he lost his aggressiveness. It coincided with losing his receivers. So the whole point of having a Flacco, having a Foles, having an Eli, you get the guy on the more volatile end of the spectrum who's aggressive, surround him with supporting talent, some good things can happen. I think that's where Daniel Jones is. Just should. to wrap up, same thing. I will be writing an article this week on PFF.com all about Daniel Jones and what we know against my better judgment against my better judgment it is yeah I've decided that your judgment is wrong and I'm therefore ignoring it Giants fans are it will be a discussion about what we know about Daniel Jones after 16 weeks of the season people are feeling good right now in New York Giants fans at least yeah and you're just gonna we'll look New Yorkers are not happy when they're happy so it's important to put them back in a position which they feel comfortable, which is misery. You're going to ruin their Christmas. Yes, a little bit. Wow. Seems petty. Anyway, Dwayne Haskins looked really good before the um, did. injury. Case Keenum, nice little comeback there as well. Giants, I know they gave up 35 points, but also getting sneaky good play from DeAndre Baker in recent weeks. That's encouraging. And um, yeah. Dude, How freaking long is this podcast? We're supposed Love. to be speeding up. We seem to be slowing down. Here's what we'll speed up. Jets 16, Steelers 10. Oh God, I forgot we even skipped that game. Duck got benched. Mason Rudolph came in. Then the Duck came back in. Duck came back in after Rudolph got hurt. So we were talking before Rudolph about how place. Ducks don't feel like bouncy species to me. The other thing that came up is apparently heading into the game, Duck was on a short leash. I think that's the first time I've seen a Duck on a leash. So un- Ducks, unbouncy as a species and apparently not very good in leashes. We need him to play more just for the duck jokes. Marcus May with a couple spectacular plays to save touchdowns. Yeah. To save the game. Jamal Adams making plays all over the place. Um, I don't have much else. Darnold wasn't Steelers great. defense was pretty beastly. TJ Watt really chasing hard for a defensive player of the year kind of candidacy. Yeah. But that entire defensive front was, again, pretty much dominant. Um, did Bud get himself over the line in terms of pressures? He, was, he needed four. Oh, no, then no, two. But he's heading there. That's halfway there next next week. Next week's the big week. Um, the Jets, yeah, not a lot to love. Um, I'm going to mention the Chiefs' safeties in a little bit. I do, I do love when you, you have a nice that for that game. But I do love when you have a nice pair of safeties that could be somewhat interchangeable and just create havoc for opposing offenses. That's like Jamal Adams and Marcus May when they're working together. Just an encouraging point for the future for Jets fans. Okay, first, see how I do that. I do. It was nice. First half decent game for Quinn and Williams in a long time. Yeah. Go winning. Dominant against the run. Or strong against the run. Right. That's that game done. That was nice. We moved right on past that. That's it. Let's just, let's touch on Arizona 27, Seahawks 13. going out of order again? We're going to go quick through this. Kyler Murray gets hurt. We had to watch Fred Hundley play. The biggest thing we need to talk about in this game wasn't even in the game. It's the Drake. No. What? Michael, breaking news over here from the corner. Marshawn Lynch and the Seahawks are open to a reunion. And Lynch has told people he plans to travel to Seattle today to, to discuss it. Sources tell Rap Sheet. Beast mode back in the Have you seen Marshawn Lynch recently? He looks like fat Eddie Lacy. Yeah. He is. He'll still break 72 tackles. Some, he's carrying some LBs. Yeah. He looks like he belongs in the shirt that you had initially that was the non-slim fit one. Right. Like I saw him in a charity soccer game recently where he was like that. I mean, he, he's chunky. Yeah, um, so Chris Carson and C.J. Proseis. 
and Rashad Penny. Both, both injured. Rashad Penny's already out. Yeah, they have no they have no running backs left. Carson and Prosize both got hurt in this game. Dwayne yeah. Brown didn't play, but he's out for next week as well, or for the season. Yeah. Right? Oh, they're busted up pretty bad. Seattle's broken. Russell Wilson couldn't carry them. Yeah. Um, Arizona did a nice job defensively. They put a ton of pressure on Wilson. Um, Chandler Jones, a lot of... I, I, I was joking about that stat. Like, he had 15 sacks and eight forced fumbles. He's ha- he has had an excellent season. This might be something for us to do a little deep dive on. This is the fifth straight year that he's played over 900 snaps. Yeah. I mean, his... You just, like, from for a, for a defensive lineman to be on the field that much, he has been incredibly durable. By our numbers, he has 100 career sacks, including the playoffs, mm-hmm. since 2012. That's a monster number, and we, you know, we over we say sacks are overrated and stuff like that, but um, he's just been consistently really solid across the board. So he's having a, he's having a really nice year. Is he like defensive Larry Fitzgerald? He might be, but that's another you know feeling good about him and Buda Baker and some of these other pieces on the defensive side of the ball. If Byron Murphy can you know live up to what we thought he'd be coming out, he had a nice game, but you know he's had a, he's had a bit of a rough season. Um, something to keep an eye on for that Arizona defense. Seattle, though, this game meant little compared to next week's matchup against the 49ers, which has been flexed to Sunday night football. Yeah, except the buy is on the line. It did kind of, I mean, it it, it gave away the advantage they they accumulated over the last couple of weeks, given the way the results had gone. Yeah, but yeah, not good. I mean, C- Seattle is busted up pretty bad at this point in terms of injuries. Like honestly, bringing Lynch back in might not be crazy. Um, even off the couch, carrying Eddie Lacy weight, I think he's probably capable of being better than the guys they've got in the roster right now, given they don't have any left. So, yeah. That you, might not I be mean, nuts. you need somebody that's going to create after contact and all that stuff. So, right. Jamarco Jones uh, had been playing mostly guard. He got whooped at left tackle, yeah. usually against Chandler Jones or leaving Chandler Jones unblocked, yeah, whatever that's, it may that's have not been. going to work well. Um, so, not a great game for Seattle. Impressive game for Arizona. Uh, Kyler got banged up, like I said, and we got to see a little bit of uh, Brett Hundley come in, ran the offense pretty well. Yeah. And your boy, the Drake. It's a full Seinfeld episode here. The Drake was dominant. The Drake was. You love the Drake. He's good. And more to the point, he's really good in this offense. Now, Philadelphia, Dallas. Now you want to get there. 17 to 9. Yeah. Uh, I'm kind of surprised that Dallas hasn't already made some changes given the end of that game. Yeah, they didn't show up, man. They really didn't. Um, this was this was kind of embarrassing. I mean, the Eagles were down a lot of key players, right? Obviously, they've got no receivers left. Like, Greg Ward is their number one, unquestioned. Zach Ertz missed time in the game because he got drilled in the ribs and had to miss significant time. Um, you know, they're down running backs. They're down right tackles. They're Like, they're down everything. The Eagles have nobody left. Ronald Darby gets hurt in the game. Like, they are... Did Jalen Mills get carted off at one point as well? Like, they were down yeah. half the team, and Dallas still couldn't execute anything. The thing with Dallas, every time there's a third and one, and Zeke doesn't get the ball, and Tony Pollard does, or there's a fourth down play where Amari Cooper's not on the field for whatever reason, I mean, I don't know. There are some quirky things like that, right? Well, where I'm not saying Zeke has to get the ball every time on third and one, but that's when people are like, well, there's your million, million dollar, you know, your your highest paid running back right there. Why isn't he getting the ball? So that, I think, in a nutshell, is their problem, right? It's Zeke Elliott is a $90 million man. Therefore, 
in order for us to justify the money, we are compelled to use him in certain situations. But then they're not. Well, here's the thing. Either they're not, or when they are, a defense knows it's happening and just plays it. Yeah. Like, they run... They, like, defenses have just taken to launching everything at them on first down, knowing that they're probably going to run the ball with Zeke Elliott. And then they do, and they get swamped. Like, they need to actually change up some things and do something different to what the defense is expecting you to do. Just a weird game, man. Dak was dealing with a shoulder injury. He missed practice this week. We talked about that in the preview pod. Shoulders banged up. There were multiple opportunities down the field. Yeah. I mean, they would... There, you know, people are saying, "Why was Tavon Austin in over Amari?" Uh, Tavon was behind the defense. Smoked Razul Douglas. He was behind by a couple steps. This was Dak last year and previous years, where you know he would kind of manage, but like he would, he left a ton of deep passes on the table over the last couple of years. That's what he did in this one. Then when he finally hit one, it got dropped. Right, and just not just one drop. Here. He is dealing with more drops than any other quarterback in the NFL. Yeah. Jason Witten. Jason Witten last week was this absurd behind-him-one-handed snag, right? <laughs> then this week just drops a simple out route. You're um, the slow tight end, man. Amari Cooper adds a drop to his ever-increasing tally. Michael Gallup somehow has developed a worse drops problem than Amari Cooper has. He had two. Randall Cobb had two drops. Like, Dak had six passes dropped in this game. That's a huge amount. So when he's on target, he's dropping him. They're dropping it, but he's also he also missed a bunch. Right. Because he graded below average. I mean, this was just... Teams know what they're doing, so they're able to stop a lot of that. It's just, this was bad. This was terrible. So, so Dallas, it felt like everybody failed them. Yes. On the other side, Carson Wentz is being... I mean, it, they're like celebrating a Super Bowl in Philadelphia right now because there's a whole bunch of Carson Wentz detractors, and they're feeling pretty good. I mean, not the detractors, but people that have defended Wentz are feeling pretty good about his performance. He was solid. He did some nice things. And it's the situation is the opposite. It's it's he's got Dallas Goddard catching nine for 91. He's got Miles Sanders catching five for 77. Sanders has been fantastic these last couple of weeks. Speaking of, you know, fantasy superstars winning championships and all that stuff. You know, Zach Ertz battling through injury. Everybody's banged up on Philadelphia's team. Greg Ward stepping up. Just guys are stepping up left and right. And Wentz did play a good, clean, efficient game. Don't forget Boston Scott. He caught six for seven. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Moving the chains. With a long of seven. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Whatever. Look, this is my my Twitter buddy. We're friends now. Oh, yeah. He did follow you on Twitter, huh? Yeah. Doesn't that feel great when one of your guys follows you on Twitter? Isn't that good? I'm wondering, like, how long I have to leave it before we can become, like, you know, proper pals and start talking about Jamar Smith and stuff. Yeah, so, yeah that's a good point. Yeah, Baker followed me on Twitter a couple years ago. and Right, you DM'd him. He just blanked you. Don't tell anybody. You should have known. You should have known at that point. I didn't DM him. Of course you did. Should have dropped him. That's what I'm saying. We should have seen. That should have been a red flag. He's not a two-phone guy like Will Greer, Dude though. doesn't respond to you. I think he is, though. I think he's a two-phone guy now. Baker? Yeah. Two cell phones? He's done a lot of ads. He's lot probably of two cell phones. How long do you think he spent doing all those? There's a direct ads? correlation to owning two cell phones and having a bad season. Yes. Huh. Now, Brady has like six cell phones. There's a point. Six. Where you're, probably. I'm just guessing. Like when you're a star, you one, can have more one than to hand over to the NFL when they ask. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Just a weird game, man. Because if you said Philadelphia is going to win, give up nine, you're probably like, oh, dominant pass rush performance. Yeah. Nope. No good pass rush grades anywhere here. Dallas's O-line actually graded well. Like, just nothing about this game made a ton of sense. 
Except because Dal- Dallas just here's here's what happened. They scored nine because they missed throws or they dropped th- uh, they dropped passes. That All was you it. need to know about this game is that Dallas were unable to even leave the city of Philadelphia. Well, as I said, December games are one on the ground. Yeah, they were grounded. They got stuck. The plane crapped out, and they couldn't even leave. They were so bad Listen, in this game that they were unable to even leave the city. Dak was under pressure seven times on 47 dropbacks. That's it. Yeah. Passed a rating of 78.9, 6.4 yards per attempt in a clean pocket. Not good, Bob. So I think that was the story. Dallas unable to win from a clean pocket in this one. Yeah. I don't even think Philadelphia's defense wasn't really even spectacular. No, this is, I mean, this we've was been talking before about defense. how, like, this, is, this NFC East crown race is just this slow bicycle race to the finish line where both teams are dealing with a, <laughs> a flat tire and, you know. But I thought Dallas would be stuff. the scarier team in the playoff. Maybe not. I don't I, know. I mean, I, I maintain that either one of these teams is still, and this isn't even wrapped up, by the way. This can still flip next week. Oh, yeah. I maintain that. Either one of these teams is capable of beating pretty much anybody in the playoffs, but it, right now it really does look like a bumbling mess as they head into it. Can we go to the last game of the week? Let's wrap it up. Wow. Quick and efficient, this podcast. <laughs> Chiefs at Bears, 26-3. to The Mahomes Bowl. You were telling me this morning about how, you know, Mahomes used his fingers to count off the number of players taken ahead of him in the draft. Yeah. And if you were to do that, it would have required more fingers. How many times were you passed up? 4,500. <laughs> That's yeah. 70 more than 10. Yeah. In baseball, you're technically eligible for the draft after your senior year of high school. Yeah. After your junior year of college and your senior year of college. So you were passed on 4,500 times. Yeah. There's uh, 50 rounds. Yeah. 30 teams. 4,500 times teams were on the clock and decided, I, I'm not going to take Steve Palazzolo. Michael Vick was drafted ahead of me. My, I mean, I was never, never going to get drafted in high school. Right. Like, not even close. Mm. But he was drafted ahead of me my high school year, technically. Yeah, in baseball, the sport that he didn't play. Yeah, he hadn't yeah. played in five years. Uh-huh. He was drafted in, like, the 30th hadn't round. Played in five years. Yeah, like, middle school he <laughs> played, and they were just like, here's an athlete. Let's... After the 30th round, teams just start, like, drafting <laughs> friends of friends of friends. And you still and football players. 4,500 times. Yeah. It's like, here's the announcer's kid. Here's the, uh, so the, here's way the third you, base coach's yeah. nephew. The way you paint that, it sounds kind of like you should have been drafted at some point, just because everybody else was. Well, I like to think the scouts missed it. How? Missed opportunity. I made it to AAA. I was, You're I nine foot tall and have hands the size of dish plates. How did they not see the potential? This is what I'm saying. Yeah, like, surely, missed it. Surely just like at a cursory glance that, oh, yeah, that's a guy that's eight foot tall and has a hand the size of a garbage out of, lid. Garbage bin lid. Out of the 4,500 players that were drafted ahead of me, I was probably at least in the top 2,000. <laughs> I just I'm, I'm the disrespect. I'm staggered that you weren't drafted just on spec. And then I, I was I, I, I probably made it further than all but 500 of them. I would entirely understand if they drafted you on spec and then realized you actually weren't any good and had to get rid of you. Yeah. But I don't get how just on spec you weren't Oh yeah, of course he's good. He's 9 foot tall. Like look at the size of him. Of throwing high he's... 80s, low 90s. Like that should have been automatic. You missed it NFL or MLB scouts, whoever mm. you are. So anyway, like you, now look at me doing NFL analysis. Patrick Mahomes was slighted, being passed over nine times. I was just saying it's relatable. Yeah, um, 
he got his revenge in this game by, you know, be, beating the Bears. Mitchell Trubisky in the game that they were at pains to point out was not a one-on-one encounter with Patrick Mahomes. Um, was much worse. Yeah. Turns out he might not have passed or turned a corner after all. The light hasn't, in fact, gone on, and Trubisky does, in fact, still play badly. So here's the thing. Kansas City, um, Chris pointed it out on the broadcast with Al and everything. Like, they didn't put up 40 points. You knew that they were in control for the majority of the game, but it wasn't that, like, fireworks display. No, it's just we're better than you. There's still, like, a little something missing there, but they just, you know, they, they played it out, right? They're explosive. They're capable. Mahomes, the last two weeks, has looked like real Mahomes mm-hmm. for the most part, right? Whipping the ball around the yard. Missed a couple throws here and there, but, like, dude, third and 18. You've seen this, like, third and 18 numbers this year? It's like no. five conversions for like 180 yards. I mean, it's just ridiculous. You're like, talking 18 plus rather than just 18. No, 30 and 18 plus. Just yeah. whatever it is. Um, but like you're just never in a comfort zone. Oh, yeah, we just sacked him. It's third and 18. Like it doesn't right. even matter. Um, so they, you know, Tyree Kill, uncoverable, all that stuff. Um, so they still have all that on offense. But I think in the preseason, as much as we joke, oh, you know, they didn't do enough on defense and they didn't um, improve their cornerback situation. I kind of like what they, they – they're not as good on paper as they were last year, I don't think. But I like Tyron Matthew. I like Juan Thornhill, what they do. Which when you're just, I'm just all about having safeties that can play in the middle of the field and take away some of the easiest routes in the NFL, and I think the Chiefs are doing a really nice job of that. So that's the thing. I don't know if they're any better from a personnel standpoint on the defensive side of the ball, but I think they're significantly better from a scheme and game plan point of view. Right? Last year it was just – we play man coverage, and we try and get some pressure up front. And if you have a way to beat that, which you will because we don't have very good players, we are boned. Right. This year, it's a, well, okay, what's the best way of actually deploying this group of players to slow down the opposing offense? Which, you know, sounds like a fairly simple strategy to employ, but turns out it's really effective. So this Chiefs defense might not actually be that good from a personnel standpoint, but they're way better at actually deploying that to cause problems for offenses and that's what we kind of predicted coming in like we said look spags is going to run a more game plan oriented defense you might see zero blitzes you might see cover two you might you'll see different things and just that is a benefit to the defense just causing an offense to have to think about what it is they're looking at is beneficial between thornhill and matthew in the secondary kind of interchangeable do-it-all safeties who are just flying around the field Traverius ward has been one of the best in the nfl he's he's up and down but he plays some tight coverage on the outside do they have a better shot this year than they did last year at making a super bowl run just because like the offense isn't putting up the same numbers but but in any given week they can and it feels like the defenses can you know keep teams under 30 at least and yeah. Terrell, how weird was it seeing terrell suggs wearing number 94 playing really football? weird right he can't he should have a number in the 50s yeah. Pick a number in the 50s, Somebody any number. Fix that. Just anything in the 50s. Number 94. He played 17 snaps. His usual strong run defense. He did get around the edge one time, which was more, I think, on Trubisky dropping deep and rolling out. But, um, you know, Suggs could be a nice early down piece down the stretch for them. I, I agree, though. I think that they are. I think because that defense is significantly more likely to buy them possessions than it was a year ago, they're in much better position heading into the playoffs than they were a season ago. They're also... I think a lot less concerned by the New England Patriots than they were a year ago. Um, yeah. Like Baltimore is now the scariest team in, in the Chiefs. Conference. Are two and zero against them the last two years. Right. 
So, yeah, I think the Chiefs are as scary as anybody heading into the playoffs. Yeah, I, both both conferences. I think it's going to be intense at the top of the AFC, and we've already talked about how crazy the NFC is. Look at that. Week 16 wrapped up in a neat under three-hour Four ball. hours or so. Yeah. Every time I say, yeah, we're just going to be. Maybe you should go the opposite way. Let's just come in and say, look, let's, let's just chill. Let's detail. take our time. Let's relax. Let's pull up a pew. Feet up. Let's see how long we can cook this thing for. Hit me up on Twitter. Let me know if you're offended, if your team's out of the playoffs, if we don't preview your game on Thursday. <laughs> At all. I've got a tight window Thursday morning. I'm on vacation, but we're going to record the podcast anyway. I got Disney on ice I'm going to. Maybe so. I don't even need you. All right. So I'll, do, I'll, do, I'll give you an hour on Thursday. Right. And then if you and need to you go, can you monologue. Leave. I'll keep going. Because I've already had my opportunity to monologue here on the pod. Right. Maybe that's what we'll do. I could work with that. Oh, man. We would, we would lose our millions. It'd be even better if we just kept like a few sort of Steve hot buttons so that every now and again I could just like hit a button and you'd give me, yes. a, you'd give me a platitude. Cut up all my. keep going again. And it's just like creep back toward average. Right. Trubisky's terrible. How hard could it be? You just get all your yeah. Jameis Coaster. I just that'd be that's <laughs> what we need to do, right? I mean, I say the same thing now. every podcast anyway. Just cut up all my clips and just insert where necessary. Now we have a game. Just have plan. Ken working the controls over here. Mm-hmm. I like it. That's it. Week sixteen in the books. Monday night football tonight. Vikings over Packers. We're both taking that. Yeah, but I don't like it. Nobody likes it. It's gonna be intense. It's gonna be intense with some serious playoff implications on the line we'll be back thursday morning right before disney on ice previewing week 17 okay all right merry christmas everybody or happy holidays whatever you're celebrating celebrate it yeah bye-bye quick break to tell you guys about nfl game pass the only way that you can replay every game all season long you can relive all the gutsy calls, crazy catches, wild comebacks, and breakout stars from every game every week. It's all the action, all the football you can handle, all in one place. So every game that we're talking about right now, you guys can re-watch it after the fact. I'm going to be going back, and you guys can too. Go check out Lamar Jackson in week one. Go check out Dak Prescott and what that Cowboys offense actually did. Go check out Kyler Murray. In his NFL debut, that's my favorite thing about NFL Game Pass. You can go back and watch at any time. And if you haven't watched a condensed game yet, you have to try it out. It's every play from the game back to back to back, so you can replay an entire NFL game in the fraction of the time it normally takes. It's how I'm able to follow all the MVP candidates, all the breakout stars, and, of course, your waiver wire pickups all season long. To see all the action this season and stay on top of all the big storylines, you need NFL Game Pass. Best of all, you can kick off the 2019 NFL season with a seven-day free trial of NFL Game Pass. Just sign up now at nfl.com slash pro football focus NFL.